Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag your mind Good evening everyone, I'm Rick Walker. Welcome back to the Maverick News Channel. Hello Maverick family and new viewers from all over the world. Great to have you back on this, uh, what is it today? October the 11th, 2023. And we do have people watching from all over the world. A world that, uh, wow, is in quite a state. It's a world really at war. And we're seeing that unfold in Israel. Tonight, to help us make some sense of this, uh, we will have Michael Bator of the People's Party of Canada joining us. Michael will help give us some insight, I think, into how everything that's going on over in Israel, Palestine, the, he'll talk about the impact that it's having here domestically in Canada and, by extension, the United States as well. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Let's, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have Michael join us. Don't go away. Greetings brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others. Out. Of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals. Individuals. Defenders of individual rights and freedoms. Credible. Trusted. Grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. And joining us live now is <coughs> Michael Bator of the People's Party of Canada. Hello, Michael. How are you tonight? I'm uh, doing pretty good. Uh, I wanted to thank you for having me back on the show and uh, getting a chance to uh, talk with your viewers and have a chat. Uh, thanks very much for that. No, it's uh, our privilege and uh, excited to talk to you tonight because I receive your email blasts uh, on a regular basis and I see your 
most recent email that came through, it talks about the impact that this Israeli-Hamas conflict war is having domestically here in Canada. And uh, so I was eager to talk to you about that because I'm seeing it as well. I mean, we're seeing protests in the streets. We're seeing um, people choosing sides in the conflict, some people trying to remain neutral, but scenes like this are becoming, well, pretty commonplace on on social media feeds. Let's just take a look and see what happened here in, uh, in Toronto with, uh, with this protest. This is a Rebel News clip. So, Michael, that's obviously a a pro-Hamas demonstration. Some would say it's a celebration. People cheering and celebrating a terrorist attack. That's how some people would characterize that. What's your view? Um, I guess basically my view is, is that it's none of our business. I believe that it's uh, well-timed. I'm very suspicious of the timing of the events, how they unfolded. You have the Million March going on. You're seeing more and more parents rising of all nationalities, religions, races, stations in life. It was amazing. We had one of the biggest crowds in Burlington, about a thousand people. Uh, previously, even during the height of the mandates, I was able to only muster maybe five, 600 people. And it was an amazing, amazing uh, adventure, an amazing day, and a really amazing Canadian moment. Uh, and then all of a sudden, two days later, uh, you get, I did not see that coming. Uh, and all of a sudden, the news cycles out, right, with the Nazi uh, house member. Like, I mean... Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it, and then uh, we grab the news cycle. Like, and this is just my opinion and my observations. But then we grab the uh, the news cycle back. We regroup. We refocus on what's important, and that's our children, our country, our culture. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, you have the House Speaker, a rhino, in my opinion. Uh, warmonger funding Ukraine, all of a sudden the appetite for funding Ukraine's down. And all of a sudden we have our second Million March coming up on October 21st. You can go check that out at the Million March for children.ca. Uh, and we got our momentum back and then boom, uh, we have this conflict go. Uh, it also seems suspicious to me hearing some reports uh, well, actually, you don't even need to hear some of the reports. You can just figure it out for yourself. The Mossad is one of the premier, if not premier, arguably intelligence agencies in the world. The uh, West Bank Wall, um, the border, the troops, the IDF, 
all one of the best trained in the entire world, best equipment. Um, they would know if a cat rubbed up against the wall or a mosquito flew into it. Uh, and I find it very, very strange that this was allowed to happen for six hours. Then we find out today uh, that that music concert was actually 48 hours previously uh, rescheduled or re like not scheduled, but moved uh, to this location or scheduled out in the time. And it just seems very suspicious. It feels very much like COVID manufactured theater to me. Uh, and I think as a Canadian, uh, we've got to stop looking at these shiny objects. We've got to stop letting them divide us. It's just another way to do it. Uh, and to me personally, I'm still going in the Million March. I side with the innocent civilians on both sides. And I condemn the warmongers, the Palestinians and the Israelis. At this point, I figure they're both warmongers and the real enemy is the government that promote this division, this hate, this radicalism uh, and this divide in society. So it's gonna have an impact on our culture. We were warned about mass immigration in 2019 uh, as the PPC platform. We even had a huge billboard sign put up with the same effect called Nazis, called racist, white supremacist, had to take the sign down. Roll yourself back, uh, roll yourself forward four years, and everything that Maxime Bernier said uh, is coming true. Um, we can't absorb that many people. Uh, and now we're going to feel the effects of it uh, because we, haven't, we have this multiculturalism, which is a proven failure. We know it. It's done. See you later. Bye-bye. There's enough evidence in Europe to prove Multiculturalism was the stupidest idea in the world. And the melting pot idea of assimilation, uh, you came to this country, this is our country, these are our customs, these are our values. Um, that can't be learned overnight. And you can't jam 18,000 or a million people a year, the size of Mississauga, uh, the, double the size of Hamilton. I'm from Ontario, so I don't know if any of these West Coasters or stuff, but that's a million people. I moved to Mississauga in 1971 from Toronto. It had three, 4,000 people. By the time I'd finished university, it had 600,000 people. Uh, and that was somewhere in the 90s, early 90s. Uh, and now you have over a million people in Mississauga, Brampton, the same thing. There's no way you can have that come in every year. There is just no way. Um, and I wrote an article a while ago about the threat to Canadian culture. Uh, our culture is built on European Christian values. Those values are shared, as I said in my speech at the Million Mark, those, share, those values are shared amongst all of our religions, if not entirely, the majority of those values, right? A man and a woman, marriage is a man and a woman, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, uh, pride, like you name it, all, all those things, truth, equal application of the law. Everybody is equal under God. 
uh, all of these values, those are European Christian values that our laws are built on. So my concern is, this is the ultimate trump card of the cabal globalists, the elitists, the military industrial complex, whoever these people are that keep shaking the jar, so to speak, right? Because obviously we have red ants, black ants, etc. You know, we have multiple races and cultures that live in Canada and we lived in harmony. Uh, and they and uh, and it seems like every time, you know, they lose the narrative, they shake the jar. Uh, and I'm really worried about the fanaticism that potentially and the hate and the emotion uh, that other countries have. And that's what they left. I'm scared they're bringing it here. Your clip from Mississauga, the border, it's actually around the that that where you saw that is actually pretty darn close to my house and where we did that random Canadian tire uh, rally for freedom. Uh, so that's pretty close to home. Uh, it's going to be close to most people's homes. Uh, and I must, I must also say that not all Muslims feel like this. Not all Christians feel that we should be like going like this. Uh, and that that's my fear. Um, I am scared that other countries' problems are destroying Canada. You look at Ukraine, all the money. What does that do for Canadians? What has it done for anybody? I bet you a lot of people got rich, and I bet you a lot of those people were in the government uh, or associated with government associate, uh, or the military-industrial complex. Think about it. Every single bomb dropped, it's a cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And with every, with every single death, with the blood that we shed, it's horrendous. But somebody's profiting from it. I put up a meme today. It had the Palestinian flag, the Israeli flag, and above it, it had the New World Order globalists funding money into both of them. That meme is very true. Uh, we just gave $6 billion via U.S. to Iran. And guess who Iran uh, pumps money into? <gasps> Hamas? No way. Why would I give $6 billion? We fund Israel. So to me... This sounds like the classic uh, banker's war where you fund both sides. No matter what, you're going to win and make money because with every bomb dropped, you're putting money in the bank. And I'm scared that that emotion, uh, this fear porn, the propaganda is going to turn Canadians to be not Canadians anymore. And a Canadian looks after their people. They look after children. They look after the vulnerable they look after the innocent. And all we've seen is this under attack. This was under attack with the Million March. That's why we're marching, because you're attacking the innocence of our children. You're sexualizing them. We march for freedom because you're taking away our livelihoods. You're taking away our bodily autonomy. We're constantly being attacked. And in this particular case, that fear porn, that propaganda, and that hate, must not permeate Canadian society. It's going to take a lot for people, I believe. I've maintained that stance. I'm going to Million March. Anyone opens their mouth up about it, don't come. Don't come. This is a focus on the Million March. We have another march for some other reason. We're going to go do it. But this is our march. This is our mission. And I'm not going to stop. So you have another Million March for Children coming up, what, on, what's the date? October, 
October 21st. Mm -hmm. It's just getting off the ground now. Uh, it was announced, surprisingly, just before the Palestine uh, issue, right? Like, you, you couldn't make that up better, right? We, we, we outnumbered a 10 to 1, even maybe more in Burlington, but across the country, at least 2 to 1, with the exception of the woke BC areas of Vancouver and uh, Victoria, where it was kind of a tie. To me, that tells me that most Canadians, if not all Canadians, are fed up with the sexualization of children. And I feel that this is a big, shiny object. Hey, look here, look here. No, no, don't, don't. Looking to divide us. Uh, or maybe it's they need a new uh, way to steal our tax dollars to fund another foreign war. Uh, but I'm not happy. I don't think it uh, serves Canadians in any way to shove their nose into any of this. And I'm hoping that Canadians will be emotionless in the sense of not fall for the peer propaganda, not fall for the hate rhetoric, and focus on Canadian issues. And one of the major issues right now is our education system, and we must not lose sight of that. I understand what you're saying. Um, I see a lot of what you see. I see Muslims aligning themselves with the freedom movement because of the Million March for Children. We saw that um, take to the streets in the last demonstration, which I don't even know how many people came out. What was that? It was hundreds of thousands of people oh, all across the country. Absolutely. Everybody wakes up to tyranny, propaganda, fear porn at a different time. Everybody has a different line that someone crosses before they realize what's going on. And when you come for people's children, that's the line. That's the line that everybody says, that's enough. You cross the line. And I'm proud that the Muslims, the Christians, the atheists, the Hindus, I had everybody at my march. I had people uh, from Hindu descent, uh, Sikh descent, uh, some guys I know that I know for sure are atheists or agnostic. I had my, my Christian friends that I attend some of their churches. And I had some Muslim women, Muslim men with Muslim children. It was one of the most beautiful moments. It felt like the truckers again. Because as you remember, when we stood in Ottawa together, that was the line that woke most people up. We've had enough. And we saw Sikhs, Hindus. I didn't see as many Muslim ladies, but I'm sure there were Muslim men there. It's really hard to tell with your snowsuit on, but I could tell by the faces we had people from different races. And we stood up together to do something. And that day on the Million March, I felt that unity. I felt that togetherness. It here's, was amazing. Here's Pierre Polyev of the Conservative Party of Canada on this issue of the war in Israel and Palestine. First of all, uh, this is, uh, I think, the first time I've had a chance to comment in person since Hamas's unprovoked, uh, sadistic uh, terrorist attack, uh, the most deadly attack on Israel in its history. Um, we unreservedly condemn Hamas for this attack and our heart breaks for every lost 
innocent life, Palestinian and Israeli. Uh, let's remember that every loss of life in this conflict is the direct consequence of Hamas's conduct. Hamas is a sadistic, genocidal, terrorist death cult, and it must be stopped. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, its evil and uh, odious conduct is responsible for all of the suffering that we witness right now. Uh, and uh, so conservatives call for the government to take action to counter t Hamas any way we can. And one way would be to impose more severe sanctions on Iran, which is the sponsor of Hamas, and to criminalize the IRGC, which is the terrorist arm of the Iranian government that coordinates support for Hamas and Hezbollah. It is, it is perfectly legal right now for Iran to use Canada as a staging ground for the IRGC, which is the worst terrorist organization in the world. And conservatives are calling for the Trudeau government to finally ban the IRGC so that Iran can no longer use our country to carry out its evil works. Okay, next. Thoughts? Well, dude. I've had that common sense thing. Max been talking common sense. Like that's the first thing I notice is ripping off our slogan, uh, which we have to give credit to Mike Harris in Ontario. I ripped it off him. So just saying, uh, it's funny that we ran with that moniker all through 2021 and actually right up till now, it's even on my website. So sorry that caught my eye, but uh, I don't like the one-sidedness of this. Uh, I don't feel like uh, he is unifying our country in any way or addressing the issues uh, that are before us that can cause us problems, the pitfalls of what can happen when you allow people to put, pit them together, us against them. Because the problem is, it's really us as people, as Christians, as Muslims, as God-fearing people, atheists that have a good moral compass, it's us that are being abused, period, period. You can put a little flag above whatever you want to condone bombing, uh, but it's not right. And I hold the Israelis just as responsible uh, as the Palestinians. Uh, and I don't hold their people. It's their governments. Uh, people have to start waking up to the fact that our governments are not serving our needs, our purposes, or our countries. Uh, they just seem to be uh, a way to steal our money and distribute it in the world in any way they want into their own pockets. And I'm, I'm sad that Pierre isn't speaking out uh, in a more unified way. Uh, I would condemn both these actions, uh, whether the first person, you can play the blame game all you want. You can go back and go, oh yeah, well they attacked. And they go, oh yeah, but they killed babies two years ago and nobody reported it. And oh yeah, well you attacked and did this. And you know, we're, we're, we're never gonna end. All that's going to do is keep their subscription to war going, which keeps their subscription to making money going. It's about time that leaders were stronger, stronger than Pierre, stronger than Trudeau. Trudeau shouldn't even be a leader. At least Pierre has some common sense <laughs> or some uh, aquium, but he's missing the picture on what this means for Canada. This is a great opportunity to remind Canadians about mass immigration. And when you don't use assimilation, 
uh, and you decide to have a multicultural city. It's a great lesson to learn at this particular time at what can happen, right? Look at all the people we brought in. Did we assimilate Palestinians or uh, Israelis or whoever? Have we weeded out their values uh, to be Canadian values? It, apparently, by uh, the actions of both sides, uh, they're just prone to fear porn uh, and using their reptilian brains to be us against them. Uh, and both sides are condoning evil, in my opinion. If you, uh, if you push for war, then you're a warmonger. I don't care what the reason is. I mean, maybe there's some justified reasons in the past. Maybe somebody could make a case for that here or there. Uh, but I've just seen too many times our governments manufacturing theater to distract us, to steal our freedoms, and to steal our money. That was a great opportunity for Pierre to say something, and he just called out the one side, and we should be calling out both sides. We fund both sides, so why wouldn't you call them both out? We give money to Palestine. We give money to Israel. Uh, we definitely know the U.S. funds both sides. Uh, so we have to, as a nation, question the value of this. As much as it hurts, why aren't we talking about Somalian atrocities? Why aren't of course, we talking about of course, you know, it, it isn't just it isn't just us who fund, who provide funding. Either other countries do, and uh, you know, it comes from. Iran, it comes from Russia, it comes from, you know, all these other countries as well. So, you know, it's it's a complex uh, geopolitical reality. What do well, you think would ha is going to happen to Israel if if we don't fund Israel or support Israel? What would happen to Israel? Well, um, we had the perfect opportunity. Israel was completely safe from 2016 to 2020. Uh, we had the Abrams Accords, four peace treaties. Uh, we cut off Iran's funding, uh, and Israel was safe. Uh, and I don't, I can't speak to the Palestinian side. There might have been things going on that I don't know about, but I sure as heck know that we destroyed ISIS. Uh, we had peace accords, uh, and we didn't fund Iran terrorism. So that's the problem, in my opinion. You can go back to the Cold War, which you were alluding to before, where there's other geopolitical players or uh, the today's world where people are jockeying. It doesn't change the fact that these governments are abusing people, right? Like you, you, you I don't well, know. I, mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm asking the question, though, that that's that's a moral issue. But we're dealing with a very real kinetic war right now. We're dealing with a country that has a limited number a, you know, a powerful military, but not a large military. They only have about 400,000 troops tops on the Israeli side. So if if, if the U.S. were to, to, to pull support, if Canada and the West were to just not provide funding or support for Israel, what do you think would happen? Well, it depends on the context of it. Under President Trump uh, and a much more peaceful uh, scenario where he addressed the actual aggressors, which in this, in my opinion, would be Iran uh, funding the terrorism. Uh, once you cut off their money, uh, it made it safer. So I'm not saying that if you, if you, you can just randomly defund Israel. Like, mm -hmm. how do you do that? You can't. You have no guarantees. I'll tell you what would happen. They would be overrun. It would be the end of Israel. It would be a massacre. It would be a genocide. 
they would wipe them out. Did, did, There's did you no say, question about it at all. So did, were you aware that about four days before this, all religions came together and that Israel has been working on peace? That like they 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 were working on a peace plan uh, to well, for the country. I and hear you. I and I, I'm with you. Like I, I see we're funding both sides. I, I get all of that. But I also see the reality before us. And uh, if, if there's no easy solution here, I'm not picking sides either. I'm trying to remain neutral on this, but I see the reality is if, if we're backed into a corner because the Allies basically gave that land to the Israelis after World War II, took it from the Palestinians. Now you have, you know, this colonialism scenario, right? So the Palestinians are saying that they, you know, it's their land. And this has just been ongoing ever since. And then you throw in religion. It's a powder keg over there. So I just, I don't know how we, you know, this is a situation that was created a long time ago. We're still living with, with it today, regardless of whether, you know, I don't think that our governments, it's not that the, you know, we're, we've endorsed as a people the funding of both sides, but I think that some corrupt politicians certainly have been funding both sides to, to enrich themselves. And so we're dealing with that reality. But, um, you know, I, I don't I don't even really want to get into to, to this stuff too much with you tonight on the international side. I'm more interested in speaking with you about the, the domestic impact this is having yeah. and the immigration and the protests that we're seeing out there, because this is having it. I mean, I'm all for too trying to keep our nose out of things internationally, just mind our own business at home and and try to take care of things here uh but it's more and more difficult to do that because we're getting we we are just awash in immigration every single year from all corners of the globe so what do you make of these protests in the streets right now because that that was just a small one in your neighborhood there in mississauga yeah. there was a huge um well it's not wasn't even a what Depends on what you want to call it—a demonstration, a celebration, pro Hamas. Uh, in uh, in Montreal, there was a bigger one down in Nathan Phillips Square. It's just, it and it's all over the world. Spain, Argentina, you you name the country, there are protests in the streets or demonstrations. But what about here in Canada? What do you see happening in the short term and and the long term? Well, no one can predict the future, but one thing that we must protect. <clears throat> is our right to protest, our right to free speech. And we can't have people running around freezing bank accounts, okay? So there's been some silly talk. You really have to take a look at the big picture and not be caught up in this little shiny tune emotional thing, all right? It's like playing hockey. You go out, you have an emotional shift. You can't let that throw you off for the whole game, right? Right? Like, you can't. You, you can't harbor that or you will not think, you will not operate properly, and you will make mistakes if you uh, play a game with anger and emotion versus logic and effort, right? So uh, I'm very concerned at people calling for, oh, they're not allowed to do it. Hey, you know what? Free speech is free speech. Whether you like it or not, it's free speech and it should be protected. Uh, so if if they want to express themselves that way, uh, and there's an Israel protest and they want to express themselves that way. I 100% support that uh, as long as it's not violent, as long as they're not inciting hatred at a particular group 
like, you know, chanting kill Canadians or kill Israelis. Like that, I believe, isn't, you know, I mean, there's a fine line in free speech, but uh, I just don't want people to start treating this uh, in such a way that will be detrimental to the rights of Canadians. So that's why well, we have we have seen some politicians come out and condemn these uh, public exhibitions uh, supporting Hamas because it is a designated terrorist organization in Canada, because there is clear, very clear evidence. It's it's clear that they, these Hamas, whatever you want to call them, went in and, and shot civilians, killed there. civilians en masse, went into that people's homes and, and killed them. And so the, the assertion then is that these people out in the streets are celebrating a war crime that they're celebrating a crime against humanity so what that's that's the accusation and we saw an ndp member of provincial parliament in ontario today apologize for her comments about the um uh, the conflict and specifically comments about these demonstrations in that that regard this was sarah jama she uh, was she she posted online supporting palestine uh, making reference to colonialism, and uh, and now she's walked that back after getting pressure from her own party. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't know. Okay, she's in a different. So when you're a public figure, uh, even like yourself, you have an influence or a reach, uh, and with that comes a responsibility uh, to maintain a sober mind, in my opinion, mm -hmm. uh, and to not incite or inflame things uh her her condoning that uh, as a person being free speech i don't know how anyone can condone the actions of war especially some of the atrocities we've recently seen but i think it was i think it's good that she rolled it back from a public point of view of being a representative of all the people because her constituency probably has christians muslims palestinians Sunnis. She, it's like, you know, so she should be representing her constituency in a more sober manner, in my opinion. So I think she shouldn't have made the comment. I wouldn't have made that comment. And I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have made that comment. So even, but even just supporting free speech at this level can bring some criticism upon you because, or even me, if I say, you know, I support their right to free speech, but if they're out there celebrating a war crime or celebrating a crime against humanity, celebrating a victory that involves, honestly, the murder of civilians, where does where does that leave you? How do you how how do you justify that? Is that really free speech or is it hate speech? I, I mean, it's very difficult. And then on the other side, when Israel goes and and carpet bombs. Well, it's not even carpet bombing, it's carpet missiling, right? But yeah. when they take out entire neighborhoods and blow up buildings and, and they kill civilians and they've done that, not just now, but in the past as well, uh, how do you justify that? I can't, I can't support that either. But if you see people protesting in the streets or demonstrating, they're supporting it. So is that not, does that cross the line or not? Actually, that's a very good point, and um, I'm not sure you could solve it in one session it, because it, it is truly important to protect free speech, 
uh, and our human rights, our bodily autonomy, uh, and not to succumb to emotion uh, if you can. You really do need that step back, that, that look. You know, it's hard to say, right? Because you're, this bad thing happened, you see the pictures, and then people are celebrating. It, it, it's not good. Because like, Olivia Chow, the mayor of Toronto, came out, condemned the Hamas demonstration initially because she said that they're a terrorist group for the reasons I just stated. And now she's come under pressure the other way and she's saying, oh, no, it's OK. Uh, you know, they do have the right to protest. She didn't even realize that you don't need a permit to protest in Toronto, I know, I was reading like, that. which, you know, so so a lot of, you know, people who should, are supposed to be in the know don't know and then they are also getting caught up in this in this very tangled complicated question of where does where do you draw the line on free speech when does free speech cross that line into hate speech or does it matter should we allow people to just express themselves in in the in the public square and and is that is hate speech something that is well, um, if we think where do we go? Tr if we think about Trudeau's uh, French interview with the kids and stuff, uh, where he called us racist, misogynist, you know, what do we do with these people? Uh, to me, that's hate speech. It violates uh, the actual criminal code, right? You're mm -hmm. promoting hate towards an identifiable group, right? So, if we go by the letter of the law, and this event happened. And people came out uh, with their Palestinian flags or Israeli flags if they carpet bombed and they're pretty proud of it. Uh, I'm not sure you could say that's hate speech, maybe technically by the law. Uh, and maybe we need to revisit some of our hate speech laws, but I'm really scared of that because every single time the government opens up something, we always lose something. We never win when they open up something. So that, that's one of my greatest fears for the Canadian culture, the Canadian people, is to not lose those rights and freedoms uh, based on, um, you know, uh, race baiting, um, this exceptional fear porn, uh, this really tragic, 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 uh, barbarous actions by these two parties. So it's a, it's a tough one, right? Like, how do you feel about it? I mean, like, I get your point, right? And I thought the same thing. It's like, oh, hey, they just, you know, killed that person and then everyone's cheering. And it, it's not good optics, right? Well, how do I feel about it? Yeah, You're asking like, me? Yeah, like, well, I, th I think that it's, uh, I think free speech has to be given a wide berth. You need to make a huge lane for, for free speech. Uh, that's why... Uh, if someone wants to walk down the street carrying even a Nazi flag, I say, okay, I don't agree with it, but you should be allowed to do that. And that is really, I think, the equivalent of what we're seeing in the streets right now with these demonstrations. And with that, you know, I make reference to the Skokie case uh, involving the ACLU back in 1977 in the United States. And even though that was, um, uh, you know, it's an American decision and an American uh, organization, uh, the Civil Liberties Union, the American Civil Liberties Union that, that, that addressed that issue, I think it, it comes to bear here because 
in order to have a free and democratic society, you need to allow people to express their points of view. And we shouldn't be afraid of people saying things that are even hateful. They might be bad ideas, but the best way to deal with bad ideas is to challenge them with better ideas and truth. So to, to just try and push it down under the surface or hide it or force it off into a corner someplace where people won't see it, I think is a huge mistake because it just festers over there and it just goes underground. You don't really kill it off. It's just there all the time underneath. It goes underground in your society where it's not visible anymore. Much better to get it out into the open and sanitize it with some light than to have it fester in the dark and grow like a cancerous tumor through your society. Yeah. <clears throat> so I love your analogy of the fact that this flag of the Nazis is offensive. This particular individual is exercising their uh, right to free speech, saying that, hey, you know, I agree with this or whatever the symbolism of that flag is. We all look, we're trying to hold our cookies down from not puking or getting mad. Um, but like you said, I love what you said, that you're, the best thing to do is to have the all the ideas out unhindered. You're not going to like what they say. And the same thing, too, when I'm sitting here uh, against the alphabet mafia, right? I'm not going to mm -hmm. tell them not to speak. I know it benefits me if I suddenly pull the tricks that the government's pulling, but that's not what Canadian society is built on. Um, they should, they, that, that group, the people that believe those things, it is their democratic right or their God given right to free expression. Um, and I think that we uh, started losing a lot of this with Obama and politically correct and all this stuff. I'd like to go back to Archie Bunker and just make fun of everybody, you know, you know, like, like, don't worry about insulting people. Right. Well, a moment, a moment like this is, is exposes a lot. It exposes the ignorance and stupidity of some politicians who really don't know um, their history. They don't know what the political realities are. They don't even know how their own laws and systems work, as was clearly exhibited by the mayor of Toronto, Olivia Chow, who doesn't know that you don't need a permit to protest in the streets of Toronto. She doesn't even know her own laws and she's supposed to be running the city. So it exposes things like that. It also exposes these guys riding around on that pickup truck it exposes you know how they are viewing this it exposes their thought process their attitudes and that is now now you can go to them and you can have a conversation with them to try to understand it and and get control of the situation here in canada as well and i think that that personally i think that that demonstration the tone is all wrong the messaging is all wrong they're celebrating a horrific uh, you know horrific acts uh that are war crimes that i absolutely condemn i and they're crimes against humanity it is the worst attack on israel since the holocaust there's no question about it but you know, I think maybe you counter that. Maybe at some point, some people will come to their senses. And instead of having a celebration in the streets, maybe it's time for a vigil. Maybe something more solemn to, to, to mourn all of the deaths on both sides. And then maybe when those guys riding around on that pickup truck see that, maybe they'll come over and, and have a, a moment of clarity. Well, that, that's the beauty of free speech, right? Um, maybe what we do need to do is to find all the people 
that realize that we're being played, our emotions are being played, we're being clickbaited, brace baited. Uh, and there's a lot of people, I, I know they're not as active, I know they're more shy, but maybe it's time we had a peace rally. Uh, no more wars. Like, mm. what, what the hell are we doing in Ukraine? I don't love Putin or nothing. He's not a great guy either, right? But, I mean, I look at Zelensky, and I don't, I don't like that guy either. They're both idiots uh, mm-hmm. from the perspective there. Uh, and, you know, you can go into details about, oh, they were provoking. You can go into the, the 2014 uh, color revolution. You can go look at histories of things. But to me, I feel like we always have two sides of the same coin. And the two sides of the coin aren't always the same country, like a Democrat and a Republican or voting for Pierre or Trudeau, right? Like it's two sides of the same coin, but it's also two sides of the same coin too when you look at different countries and the conflicts that they set up, right? Why are we funding two people? It sounds like old-fashioned banker wars where they bankrupt kings so that they can be debt slaves. Right. I think like those, I think really, those old-fashioned banker wars are still going on. I don't. I don't think that that's really that has hasn't changed much. The technology has changed, and the geopolitical realities might be different today. But uh, it still comes down. At, at the end of the day, uh, it still comes down to who's getting rich. Well, Eisenhower had warned President Kennedy when he was taking over in 1960 about the military-industrial complex. Right. He saw what was happening after World War II. He's a general. He's in the government. Uh, and he warned of the shadow government. Right. He warned of this entity uh, that's operating sometimes with impunity on its own. Uh, and then Kennedy tried to do something about it and they assassinated him. Then you get a guy like Donald Trump who doesn't play the game. He cut the funds off. Do you see how fast ISIS disappeared when we cut the funds off? Then we went and cut the snake's head off and we didn't make a forever war. You see how fast he did that? Do you think all these Arabs and the people that live there want to live like that? Do you want to live like that in your neighborhood? I'll right. bet you a million dollars you don't. Well, I don't want to live like that in my neighborhood. But, you know, and that's why, you know, I worry about what I'm seeing in the streets right now when I see people celebrating like that. Um, and then I see, uh, you know, the Jewish community also um, in the streets, emotions running high, people picking sides. This is another issue that is polarizing our society. I think this is because of the, uh, the scale and the, the horrific nature of, of this, the particular horrific nature of this, this war as it has uh, erupted, you know, this is going to, going to drag on for a while and it's having a direct impact on our society here. And it's also coming at a time when we've just seen this new alignment, this new alliance between Muslim communities in Canada and the freedom movement, you know, which then became this million march for children. And I'm worried about what's going to happen in the streets because we saw the people with the, you know, the Canada's major unions come out with this leaked video where they were planning major opposition to the Million March for Children. Um, and in some cases, in some cities, there was real pushback uh, from the union Antifa types, right? Uh, in the last, the, the last series of demonstrations, although a, a huge success. No, don't get me wrong, but... We did see some of that pushback, and we you have to know 
that they, they're, they're absolutely working behind the scenes to plan more pushback in the streets again this time around. I see a lot, you know, lines being drawn here, battle lines in Canada. It's making me feel very uneasy. You've got, you know, the, the woke neoliberal left Antifa types over on that side. And over here you have the freedom movement now aligning with the, the Muslim communities who are being further polarized now because the government is coming out on the side of Israel, Pierre Polyev, conservative leader, Israel, Jagmeet Singh. Mm, I bet you he comes out on the side of Israel too, actually. You watch. Um, so, you know, you've got that on that side, freedom movement on this side. Take to the streets again. It won't be just a million March for Children demonstration anymore. And I mean, let's face it, even the last March, there were some other issues that were woven into the, or baked into that cake too, inevitably. But I'm concerned that with that new March coming on the 21st, it's just around the corner. And, and with the volatility, the emotions running so high around this war, depending on what happens between now and then, uh, I, I'm worried about what's going to happen on the streets of Canada. Well, your, your worries definitely are justified. And be prior to this event, I was just as concerned about the what I saw in the Edmonton parking lot, uh, people taking swords to each other. Um, and you shouldn't bring your baggage. You left your country to escape religious persecution, political persecution, uh, maybe a better standard of life. You left to become a Canadian. And it, we need to adhere to the Canadian values. Uh, if we lose that, then we lose our country and we will be no better than the countries they left. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what country you left. You could leave Romania. You came to escape communism. You can leave Nigeria because there was a civil war going on or you're a Christian in some country that's purging them. Uh, we all came here for a reason and for a better life. And that better life is what we need to protect. And those are built on European Christian values. That's why multiculturalism is a failure. You are completely justified in the fact that this will affect our country. It's a matter of whether we let it affect it or not. It's going to be a matter of how much and how much we push back. How much can we suck up our emotions and see through the propaganda? Uh, how much can we push our emotions down uh, when we're being fed things to poke us? We're being poked. Um, so that Edmonton thing was crazy. Why are we worried about uh, uh, what's going on in India in an Edmonton mall or on a Toronto street? That has nothing to do with it. Uh, I think personally, uh, we used to do this, uh, and maybe we do it and we don't enforce it, but you commit a crime, you're not going to be a citizen, you're gone, right? So I, I, I don't know what to say there. Like, and, and then if a citizen does that, well, I, I don't know what to say. Like, is there a law against brandishing weapons or this or that? Like, I'm, 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 I'm scared that these people that don't share our culture are bringing their uh, wars, their uh, conflicts, uh, to our, our, our country. And we've always enjoyed peace. Um, and we've done that because we've been respectful. We've always had free speech. We've always been respectful of people. We never jump to conclusions on things. When we need to fight, we all fight together, not each other. 
Uh, and even though our own government plays identity politics with us, we have to start waking up to the fact that we're in some fifth generational war. Uh, and we're going to lose our country if we don't smarten up about mass immigration, uh, gender ideology, uh, um, continuing with multiculturalism versus the melting pot. Uh, we're going to be, you're, you're bang on. It already started before this, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're, you're bang on. Have you checked in with Maxime Bernier, the leader of the PPC, to see what his position is on any of this at this point? Well, um, I'm very glad that we align naturally. And his comments are pretty much I'm echoing his comments, but not because he said it, but because I feel it and he feels it. And it's an inbreded into our party values, right? If you think about the PPC, we're always thinking of putting Canadians first, shrinking government, uh, less less intrusion into your life, less regulation. Um, and we want, in our policy, we knew this, right? You cannot have multiculturalism and jam a million people in a year. You don't have enough houses. You don't have the hospital beds. You have no time to assimilate them. Uh, a lot of them don't speak English. When we came in the past, we had a lot of our people either speak French or English. Um, and, and that helped uh, simulate uh, people, um, you know, so I, I'm Maxine Bernier's point is pretty much on point with what I'm saying. This is not our war. Uh, people's uh, conflicts should not be in Canada and our government should focus on Canadians. That's pretty much it. Canada first. We have a dumpster fire. We can't help anybody when our own house is on fire. Thank you. Okay. Um, any other aspects of this you'd like to touch on tonight? How do you think this is going to affect this? Um, I, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on this convoy slash non-voy thing that seems to be persisting up in the Ottawa area. And sometimes it, it appears they've got some stuff action going on down around Toronto on a very, very small scale. What's going on with that in your estimation? Uh, I, I'm not privy to any particular information. Um, me personally, uh, I avoided it because I feel it's a false flag. I feel that um, because of all the parents putting the pressure on and us being able to actually finally unite, uh, that that was a, a threat to them, just like in Ottawa when we all came up and you saw the French guys hugging the Albertan guys and everybody realizing that we're just Canadians and we got played. Uh, and that was happening in the, in the Million March, uh, in the fight against Soji in our schools. And I just think that it was, uh, it, it, I think it's a, a, a false flag. I think it's a January 6th type thing. It's only my opinion. It's my gut. But my gut says that this is a Fed thing. Just like that guy that popped out of the Shadow Laurier with uh, uh, Trudeau's um, photographer with a Nazi flag. Like, it just seems like that type of thing to me. I could be wrong, but I just, my gut says that it's, the timing's off, everything's off. Why would you do that right when uh, we're gaining momentum with the parents and uniting all religions and races? Why, why would you do that? Like, I don't know. It's, it, it seems like they're trying to steal the news cycle uh, and keep the fear and the hate and the division going. Okay, and let's just talk a little bit about the PPC while we've got you here, Michael. What's, uh, what's happening with the party? Uh, I think they even have a, some sort of a, a well, I don't know. Would you just, just kind of give, give us an update on 
how the party, the status of the party, what's being done to prepare for the next election and, and that kind of stuff? Well, um, we're obviously a small uh, startup company, so to speak, still. We're in our, I believe, fifth year. Uh, the progress that we've made has been, like, I'm, I'm proud of the progress that we've made, but I know that we have such a huge task. Uh, we'll be having, um, I'll be attending a, um, a meeting, uh, more of an all-hands type meeting on Saturday, so I'll get a bit more. Uh, but from my personal perspective, uh, in Burlington and in my area, um, really, we're building the war chest up. That's one thing. I'm trying to build up my memberships. Um, and I'm just being me. I'm going to the things that concern me as a dad. Uh, I'm concerned about the education system. I'm concerned about mass immigration. So I'm really in the 15 minute cities. Um, so I've done some talks with uh, some other groups in the area uh, and we're thinking about making a parents uh, committee uh, of all the groups because there's a lot of groups here in the Halton area. You'll have people uh, that are concerned and focusing on the libraries. You'll have people uh, focus on 15 minute cities right here in Oakville. They're proposing a 15-minute city. Last night, we had the council hall meeting for that. Um, so from my perspective, building my riding, it's it's coming uh, organically uh, just because of our interests. Uh, and, um, and a lot of people are stepping up to get involved. Uh, nationally, uh, we're undergoing some procedural changes. Uh, we're trying to tighten our communications. We're right in the middle of um, reorganizing some of our uh, processes. Uh, we're getting ready with uh, the artwork that we need. We're training, we're getting candidates. Uh, we just closed our application temporarily uh, so that we can onboard the candidates. We have some nomination contests going on in some of the ridings. Uh, some of the ridings are still uh, maybe you don't have a candidate, but we're getting there. Um, and uh, we're just really just trying to prepare for 2025 by building the war chest, uh, making sure that we support like-minded people uh, and making sure that we get out and we spread the truth, right? I can't just sit here and the writ drops and start working. I've been working since uh, August 2021, 20, uh, yeah. and I've been working since that, feeding truckers, uh, helping the nurses, whatever I could do. And our community is doing that. And you'll see that with the PPC uh, across the country. I'm really proud of Michelle Lindsay out in Atlantic Canada. She's been doing a great job putting people together. Um, I think that we have a little bit of growing pains. I, I must be honest, right? Like I have my own growing pains doing this, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I feel a lot more confident than I did before about the structure. Uh, about the conviction and the determination of the party to make a difference. And so that's where we're headed. We're getting ready. And uh, I can't speak for every candidate. I drove across Canada. I've driven across the East Coast last year, the West Coast this year. And I've met some really amazing people. Uh, some of the ridings are just amazing. They're they're active, they're involved, they're in multiple groups. Uh, other ridings, they're getting their feet wet, they're just growing their teams, uh, trying to find candidates. Some of the ridings I've been in, and EDAs have their, all their candidates, some have half of them. Uh, but by 2025, or even if they drop the writ relatively soon, uh, we're gonna be ready. Okay, I've got a clip here of Maxime Bernier that uh, 
is just online and you know his his court challenge regarding i believe it was um mandatory vaccinations um, yes to travel yeah yeah so he was it's it's not dead he's just been pushing it up the ladder to to higher levels of court and that is back in play and this is what he had to say just a short time ago hello everybody I'm in Ottawa with Sean. As you know, we did fight the vaccine travel mandate last year in the federal court. We didn't win and we decided to appeal. And that was this morning. So what do you think, Sean, will happen? Or what is your impression of, of that hearing this morning here in Ottawa? Good question. I'm, uh, I, I'm not feeling overly confident, especially due to the fact that we learned uh, last night that three of the, the three judges that were um, appointed to this case at the Federal Court of Appeal um, were Quebec judges, <laughs> French judges, essentially, and that all three of them were appointed by the former Attorney General David Lametti. So it's, it's, it's not a vote of confidence, I guess. And in my mind, I don't see us. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. We have a very, very strong case. Our lawyers did a phenomenal job in presenting the information. We had some amazing arguments and we'll just have to see where the cards uh, I'm speaking about the arguments, uh, you know, the judge, the first judge said the case is moot yes. because, you know, the vaccine mandates have been lifted. So we, we don't want to hear your case. But when she did that, she had to follow three criteria. And one of them was, is it in the public interest to hear that case? And she said, no, she said that Canadian Canadians are not interested right. to hear that case. And I was a little bit not so happy when one of the judge asked our lawyer about the public interest. And he said, you know, which public interest, when you're speaking about public interest, for him, in his mind, there's two public interests, the one for the vaccinated people exactly. and the one for the unvaccinated people it's which like saying which accounts for about six million people don't forget yeah it's, it's not a, a small number of people it's not a small number of yeah. and it's like saying me as a judge i'm not vaccinated I'm, I'm vaccinated and i'm not interesting to hear your case but it's segregation and it was in the public opinion because we had a huge rally here in ottawa the freedom convoy and after that the government had to do a public inquiry about what happened during the Freedom Convoy. Right. So it was in the public opinion. Of but course. I believe that the, the judge, the way that he was asking the questions, think that the public opinion for him, it's only the public opinion of the vaccinated people. Well, it goes a little further than that. There's the ju judicial economy side of this. So they don't think that it's worth spending the money to hear this case. Uh, there are about 14,000 documents in this case um, that they feel is too much evidence. Uh, and don't forget, it was the government that put forward 16 witnesses, yeah. right? So they, they generated most of this evidence by putting such a large amount of uh, experts forward for cross-examination. And now they're saying there's too much evidence and that they don't have the time or the money to hear it. <laughs> it's, it's like absolutely insane. Uh, it's not an argument. No. And I believe that the test today when we'll have that decision, because it may be in a week, but when we'll have that decision, it will be an important moment 
to judge if in Ca if it's ca in Canada we have kangaroo court or yes. not. Uh, and if we don't win, uh, do you agree with me that we we we'll, will we'll, have to appeal up to the Supreme we'll, Court of we'll Canada? We'll definitely be going to the Supreme Court. Yeah, for sure. But like you, Sean, I'm not so confident. I was listening the questions from the judges, and I hope that they won't confirm what I think that we have now in Canada, Kangaroo Court. We are uh, definitely, it, it's definitely looking that way, but let's hope they prove us wrong. Absolutely. So stay tuned, stay strong and free, and we will always fight for what we believe. And I believe strongly that a day we will be successful. If it's not here in court, it will be in the public opinion at the next general election. Yeah. Stay strong and free. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, everybody. So, Michael, maybe you can just speak to this and, and explain why it's important for um, this case to move forward. Well, it's I watched today um, for most of the part. I listened to the arguments. Um, not a lawyer. Uh, to me, if I had to say it in layman's terms, uh, to call this mute or that, oh, it doesn't matter anymore, right? Like, uh, I still think the fact that um, this could be brought up again uh, makes it not mute, right? Uh, and I think that's what uh, our 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 uh, argument or our premise is that this isn't mute. They could just, in a second, turn it back on. It's not outlawed, right? So who's to say it can't happen again? And and to me, this is a little hyperbole, but you know, it's like uh, you know, I'm I'm robbing you, I robbed you, uh, and then you catch me and I go, oh, it's mute. I'm not robbing them anymore. Right. Like, like I, I just it doesn't sit well. And it, it, again, it seems like the government, um, you know, and the, if I heard correctly too, all the three judges uh, were appointed by Michael Lametti, a liberal. Um, so, you know, I, I don't even know if we should appoint judges. Maybe we should actually elect them. I don't know what the best thing is. But I always thought that that profession would have integrity and so did i thought that with doctors too yeah, but the decision see, of the first judge was clearly flawed not based in logic it absolutely is in the best uh, public it's in the interests of the public to um to, to hear the case because the government can re-implement these um, restrictions at any time and uh and what so what you really need is to address that and then come up with a decision so that you have a legal precedence in place so that when when or if that happens down the road there's a, a frame of reference there a, a a touchstone that you can look back on and the government can look at that and say well there was a court decision on that on such and such a date back in the past so it, it, we really can't do this because there's a there's a legal precedent set that prevents us from pursuing this and if we do it then we're going to have a lawsuit on our hands and uh and it's just going to be struck down whatever legislation we put in place yeah, or any you, mandates right so that's why you, you you nailed it right it's it's the fact that they'll do this again and then what we wait two three years to go to court again when bankrupts yeah. businesses uh you lost your job lost your house uh we need to put in um we, we need to respect our Charter of Rights uh, and freedoms. Uh, and this notwithstanding clause, I don't believe they met any of the criteria. I don't even yep. like it in there, period. Yep. Um, and then I was just chatting with Brian Peckford the other day. Um, 
he's going to be doing um, a town hall video for our fundraiser gala on December 16th. So if anybody is within like, I don't know how far of Burlington, we have a multi-riding uh, fundraiser going on. Last year we had people from as far as Windsor in Southern Ontario and as far as Halifax, Montreal, Belleville, Barrie. Uh, it was really great. Um, and so when I was talking to him, uh, he feels we're, he's going to make his, his speech and then take questions on Zoom live in the room. Uh, and he feels that we're not reading it with the intent it was written. The very first uh, words are the supremacy of God and the rule of law. The rule of law is blind. It doesn't care what color you are, what political position you're in, what religion you're in. And it seems as though uh, this is common probably across the Western world as you've seen Joe Biden go against the American constitution. And mm -hmm. I, I think we have to start realizing that God is supreme, and by that it means all men are equal, right? If you look at the Bible, no man is above a man or below a man. All men are equal, the pauper to the king. And we don't do that. We're having race Marxism. That's against our Constitution, in my opinion, teaching DEI in the schools. Uh, you also have the fact of the rule of law. You see the duplicity or, or the, the double standard of the law, Hunter Biden versus Trump, truckers versus uh, people running over uh, protesters in a crowd getting a slap on the hand. You see criminals uh, let out of jail that rape. One of our PPC candidates from the, uh, he's a teacher, he takes the subway in, he's up in the, the northwest uh, type area, Vaughn-ish area of mm -hmm. uh, the GTA. He got stabbed. The guy that stabbed him uh, ended up uh, being let off three or four times. Right. And so what is that? Like he had as a violent history. There was three incidents of violence and the fourth one could have killed my friend. That's not the rule of law, the way Brian Peckford and the writers and authors of our great charter of rights and freedom saw the law. It should be the same when you have the coots Four in jail for 600 days. They don't even I don't even know what the charges are. What what, what happened to due process? Right. Uh, all of a sudden, well, you know, I, I do know what they've been charged with. I hear people say all the time that they haven't been charged with anything. That isn't really accurate. They've been charged with conspiracy to commit murder, uh, along with a number of other things, but uh, and some weapons right, charges right. and so on. But yeah, uh, th those, those are the charges. But yeah, to, to be in jail that amount of time and not have it go to trial. Um, now, you know, it, it's it's uh, it, it's just dragged out too long. It's it uh, I think it is a violation of their rights. It feels like political prisoners. Same with Tamar Leach, right? You can have a guy go out like that guy that stabbed my friend and he's out of jail the next day, right? Somebody, and I, I, I don't have it in front of me for references, but somebody brought to my attention uh, that there was a, a guy that had raped a, a girl, a minor, and got three years. And he was out on bail after it, like during the trial, like not a risk, like mm -hmm. what? Uh, and the sentencing. And then that guy served less time than the coots for. So that's the rule of law. To me, it means the ap equal application of the law, regardless of standing, religion, race, or position. That's what law is. And I'm feeling as though our judiciary 
is starting to turn into activists, politicalists, uh, political activists. You know, it's just not right when you see things like that. Or another example, I don't know if you remember, uh, there was the terror attack on the pipelines out in BC and Alberta somewhere, hatchets and driving the machines and smashing them, putting sugar in their tanks and starting them off. I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And did we ever catch them? Do we ever do anything? So again, you see that the why Brian Peckford is so concerned about what's going on in our country and what the original author is intended for that document to do. Equal application of the law. That doesn't mean that you go and you freeze the bank account of the lady who gave $20 to the trucker uh, and you know you can't find $600 million that you send to Ukraine. Like you don't know what happened to it. I don't know what happened to it. Hey, oh, it's too or the COVID. I think it was the COVID one. Oh, it's too much hassle to go look for it. But it wasn't too much hassle to go find everybody that donated and freeze their bank accounts, right? So those are the things I believe that Brian Peckford will be speaking to uh, at our gala. And we really, really, <coughs> excuse me, caught a piece of dust there. We're really excited to have him talk about that. And I think it's something that we really need to address is to start, does and that goes back to the Max argument with the muteness of the case. Brian Peckford is also in that case with Maxine Bernier. And how can that be muted? We cannot have, that was definitely a, a charter violation. If it was on right now, they wouldn't have the excuse for mute. It'd be thrown out if you followed the letter of the law. So that that's kind of where I'm standing on that. How do you feel uh, about the state of you know, Coots for getting this, uh, echo terrorist, nothing, uh, pedo rapist get, has actually served less of a sentence than the Coots for who haven't even got a trial yet. Like, how does that make you feel as a Canadian? Well, you, uh, you can clearly see that the, the courts are being influenced or politicized, right? So that we have to flush that out of the system. Uh, and with regard to the Coots for, I don't really have an opinion um, one way or the other, I because I don't have any evidence to look at other than what's been released by police. It's a matter of uh, routine now for uh, Canadian courts really to impose publication bans until things actually go to trial to ensure that the accused uh, is gets a fair trial so that they, if they need to put together a jury, um, they don't want to prejudice the, the jurors, and they also don't want to prejudice the, the court of public opinion by releasing all of the uh, the evidence in advance of the trial. So I understand that, but you know, as a result, we're, we've been waiting a very long time. That being said, I'm not going to pass sit here and try to pass a judgment one way or the other until I have hard facts in front of me that I can actually deal with. And I know that it's a political issue. Uh, that these guys are viewed as political prisoners by the freedom movement. Fair enough. And they're using that as a political tool. But I like to deal in hard facts. And and I would I think it would be very embarrassing for me to sit here and take a, a hard line position on this without actual facts. If later I my position was proven to be an error, if it, and I don't want to make an error in judgment, um, uh, as, as by making by 
through some knee-jerk reaction because I'm trying to support one political side or another. So that's where I stand on that. I'm still waiting for the facts. Now, I also see that these guys have been in jail for a long time, and that's, that's not right either. That's a, that's a major issue. Yeah, I mean, you that you need to bring things to trial in a reasonable amount of time, and this is this has gotten to be an unreasonable amount of time because they are entitled to to a, a speedy trial. There's yeah, this, I, this is not what we're dealing with here, and it's not right. That also being said, though, if they are found guilty, any time served, they get double time for. So if right. they are sentenced, right? So that's generally the way that time served is handled. So there's that advantage if they do get convicted. However, if they're found innocent, then they've been in jail for a long time unjustifiably and that's that's a whole other issue yeah it's it's i just i just i get this feeling that uh if you are with the narrative uh you get bail and if you're against the narrative they drag their heels as long as they possibly can and politics should not enter into law we're yep. supposed to have a distinct separation of powers uh, maybe not as clear as the United States, but there is in the parliamentary system a division of power, right? You have the judiciary, the executive, and you have the House or the people, right? It, it's slightly different, but you're supposed to go in, debate bills, uh, and then the executive will uh, you know, enforce it through its ministries. Uh, and if there's an issue with somebody, it goes to the courts. What we're seeing in our country is C11 type laws where you just go, yeah, we Canada, we want to protect Canadian people, like like Rick Walker and Maverick News, right? We want to protect his Canadian content. Let's make C11 in there, and they're going to make it so vague that CRTC can do whatever they want. That's not the way it should be. Laws should be black and white. They should be written well so that there is no ambiguity. And that no other unelected official has the power uh, to do things like those lockdowns because you make a law that says we shall let the health minister do what the hell he wants. Well, no, I want that stuff bought in the House of Commons so that I can see it. I want every single law to be black and white so that we have a test that people can look at and go, oh, yeah, well, he passed the test. He's guilty or nah, he didn't meet the threshold. Right. Like not ambiguity. Uh, and that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing our laws all watered down. Uh, you're guilty before you're guilty. You have to prove yourself innocent unless you're on the right side of the narrative, pushing all the destructive policies like gender ideology, echo destruction of our country uh, mm -hmm. economically uh, and the mass immigration. You speak out against that. Sorry, buddy. No bail. You're guilty. And, and that's my personal feelings. I don't know what's going to happen with the Coots for. I'm like yep. you. It's a publication ban. Probably a good idea to have a publication ban. But to have this drag out this long, this should have been dealt with last year at the latest. Yeah, and I mean, I haven't been in court. So for the arraignment, I haven't, uh, uh, you know, some people have seen some of the evidence. I have not been privy to it at all. Uh, no way for me to know. And even if I did know, I couldn't tell people on here. Because of, the, because of the court publication ban. So we just have to wait, let it play out. But I do see what you see in the court system, though, and in our, um, our you know, our, our political system as well, that there is a, a double standard in play 
for um, the neoliberal woke left and and the other side, the freedom side. So yeah, it's absolutely there. It has to be purged in order to to bring the system back to a place where it serves the people properly, evenly, fairly. No question about that. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to what um, his honorable Brian Peckford will have to say on that. Because he, his whole, when I, t- I didn't get a chance to talk to him for a long time, but it really is. We're not, there, there's a lens, right? Like, so the law should look, you should look at the law through a lens. That's the way the charter was. That's why those are the first two lines. That's the glasses, the lens, uh, the premise of which you would read the document, right? Mm-hmm. God is supreme and the rule of law, right? So the rule of law means if it says in there, I have the right to demonstrate uh, and associate and travel freely, uh, then you're breaking the law, right? It's quite simple. And that's why I'm so frustrated about this mute law. I don't know how many of Trump's cases were thrown out. Uh, oh, no standing. And then you you go, okay, well, the elections happened. Now I have a remedy. Oh, you, still, you don't have standing again. Oh, it's mute. The election's over. Like, you know what? I'm getting sick and tired of this crap. I, I can't yep. wait for the day that we have a sober mind, uh, which you exhibit in your uh, take on the Coots 4. You're not getting all dramatic. People, you know, I bet you even if you saw all these things thrown at you, you'd probably still have a clearer mind. And that's what I'm hoping Canadians will do in general with the Palestine uh, Israeli conflict, uh, that they'll wake up to the gender ideology and start focusing on Canadian issues uh, like our court system and what's gone on. That shouldn't happen. Uh, the infringement of our rights and freedoms, uh, the barrage on our children. Uh, we need to start being Canadians again, right? The kind of Canadians, I know we're really great. We help people. You saw the unity the collectivism, how we can all be individuals and yet unite so well for the truckers. Uh, We proved it again with the Million March, and we have a history of it. If you look back to 9-11 in Gander, pulling in all the planes and feeding the people and giving a roof over their head, we're pretty good at that. But by the same token, sometimes we got to get off our ass, right? we got to go out there, play like Bobby Clark, uh, Paul Henderson in the Team Canada, Right? you got to play like that. you got to play like Vimy Ridge sometimes and take that ridge. Uh, and Canadians have proved it. And I'm really scared uh, that we're losing our identity, right? They're changing the passports. They're trying to rip down uh, things. They're stealing books out of the Peel School. You, you wouldn't believe how many books they just took out. And they're books that we read, 1984, uh, Catcher in the Rye, Judy Bloom, uh, books that help you grow as a kid, and, you know, give you critical thinking, all gone. And we have all these porn books in. So I'm really hoping that people start to wake up to this, right? And and that's why I was so pleased with the Million March and the parents uh, thing with the Oakville. I'm not sure if you knew, but I'm the guy that organized the Oakville rally, the one with the 1,500 people. And then uh, we had Max come down to the school board. Uh, but I was really, we're really proud of that because all the groups came together. I phoned everybody I knew. Hey, Action for Canada, Mama Bears, uh, you know, uh, Veterans for Freedom, Halt and Freedom Fighter. We got to fight this. Did you know this is happening? And everybody came. But the parents that got pissed off at that looked at the Freedom Fighters and, oh my God, anti vaxxers. Oh my God. Oh my God, you guys are trying. So the division, the identity politics, we need to get rid of that. It's got to go. Our uh, prime minister is probably the worst divisive uh, prime minister we've ever had. 
I put him up there with Obama uh, as being one of the most divisive presidents because we never had BLM. We never had any of this stuff. And all of a sudden we have all these riots. Uh, and, and, it, and it was his speech. It was his direction. And Trudeau following the template completely, especially that disgusting hate speech uh, about the vaccinated in French. Uh, so Canadians have to wake up because if, 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 if we do not unite, we're losing our country. It's as simple as that. If you keep falling for shiny things, clickbait, uh, and uh, get distracted from what's really happening, uh, and we fight each other instead of fighting the government and what it's doing to us, stealing our energy, uh, stealing our food. Uh, like, I mean, we should be alarmed that they're talking about price fixing. Uh, this is communism. When you start to go in and do the food, ask Stalin how many Ukrainians died when he took over. Uh, Mao, same thing, killed everybody. Stay the hell out of the government. Right. Stay stay out of the people's lives. Right. You can't control this stuff. And I'm really scared about the future of our country. And the Palestinian Israeli thing is just another distraction while they continue to keep their hands in our pockets and stealing our freedoms and our money. Interesting. Lot to lot to unpack there. Uh, maybe you can provide some cl some clarification for me. This is something that I've been trying to, to sort of dissect the evolution of the people's party of canada the evolution of the freedom movement itself it seems like it, it it's evolved into something different than it was when it really started what five six years ago approximately approximately give, give or yeah. take okay you know the ppc started by maxime bernier who was with the Conservatives, I viewed the PPC as uh, a, a, another, a, a true Conservative Party, where a lot of Conservatives left the, the Conservative Party to follow Max. But since then, over time, it has really changed. It has evolved. And the freedom movement has become joined at the hip, I think, almost to the, to the PPC. And with that, uh, well, first of all, just comment on that. And then there's something very specific that I want to ask you about some of the kinds of language that I'm hearing used all through the movement and the party. And maybe you can explain to me a little bit about that. But just comment on that joining of the of the freedom movement and the PPC. Well, I, I think um, if I just go quickly through uh, some of the history. Uh, so you have Maxine Bernier getting 49 percent of the vote about 12, 14 times in a row for the leadership. Uh, and I constantly hear people like, Max, just go back, fix it from the inside. He tried already, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so that's the first piece. Then you move into, I believe, 2018-ish. So you're, you're correct, five, six years. Um, and he takes all those policies that 49% of the true conservatives voted for uh, before the dairy cartel put a kibosh to that and this mm -hmm. weighted system and their backdoor deals and whatever happened, those 49% people uh, were left holding the bag. Max said, hey, at least let's do one or two of the policies that I had that got over, like I almost got half the vote, 49%. Can we do something? No, I'm sorry, we got to win the election. Uh, and the Conservative Party mm -hmm. just wants to win elections, but uh, they just keep going left. Right. You're just going to go left. So what happened is when Max formed the party, the primary base of it, uh, and, and I'd, I'd have to go look at statistics. I'm going by gut and kind of living through it without having numbers exactly. And, and they're analytical to my writing. But it seemed like a lot of the initial founding 
uh, members were, 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 were conservatives. Uh, but what you'll find is in 2021, uh, you're starting to find green and NDP. I even had a liberal secretary until the gender thing hit. And then he went back to being a liberal. But um, then I, I have people that have never voted before. Yeah. Uh, things like that. And if you look now in 2023 at the composition uh, and uh, just for the record, uh, I've been uh, told that I have the best uh, membership in the country. I've signed the most members in the country. Uh, and so I have a pretty good scale of where they came from and why they came. And right now I have a person sitting on my board that was Christian Heritage. I have a green professor. Uh, she was with the Green Party. I have another lady who's been with every single party. Her last party was liberal. Uh, I have a young lady and her whole family from the NDP. Uh, and I have a bunch of people that never voted before. And they're not like because they're 20 and weren't able to vote the last election. They're like people that said, I'm pissed off. This is bullshit. And I'm sick and tired of it. It's two sides of the same coin. And they've dropped out. And with the advent of the PPC, uh, then what you see is a chance like, hey, you know, maybe, maybe I have a chance and my vote will count. Uh, we still got 40% of those people sitting out there saying they don't believe in the system. But the PPC has evolved uh, from being a primarily disgruntled conservatives leaving with Max because they wouldn't produce the conservative policies that make us conservative so the party um, is is truly a populist party now it's not a conservative party no. it's a populist party yeah it's kind of i would say libertarian populist fiscally responsible would be types of ways to describe it <clears throat> um and to say the freedom movement is attached at the hip to ppc would be incorrect because uh there was a lot of uh what i call provocateurs um oh. in causing those divisions in the freedom movement and stuff like that. So I did have a couple of points where um, even though I've stood with the truckers since the very first day, uh, fed them, helped do the supply chains uh, and uh, went up there and delivered it personally on our own convoys, uh, stood at the bridges, got like 1,500, 2,000 people on a bridge to close the lanes, uh, all three bridges in Burlington actually, but mine at Guelph. Uh, was because I was the first one and other people asked if we could do the other and I said yeah and then we put out posters for those but you'll find that um, there you know somebody's starting to say uh, you know oh you know Max is uh, WEF and mm -hmm. spreading rumors and I saw it in Manitoba when I was there like out and out lies like I can't believe Brandon I think it was Brandon Leslie out and out said Max is for gender ideology uh, and against abortion or and for abortion like literally to the crowd and then, oh my God, this one lady stood up. And that's why, I don't know if you guys saw that huge truck. There was a big, big 50, uh, uh, you know, transport truck. And it was for we, um, hay. And they bought a big banner with our policies because he lied. Like, and so I, so that has caused division. Uh, once Polyev got in, uh, there's a lot of rah-rah, like he's some kind of savior. Uh, and then now a few months later, you're starting to see people wake up to the fact that he's kind of the same. Um, so I wouldn't say they're at the hip uh, of the uh, PPC. Uh, maybe the freedom movement in general with parents joining in, uh, maybe the ones that got mad uh, about uh, the books. 
the ones that maybe recognize the mass immigration as an issue, they're starting to see that the other party won't do it. Um, you know, so it, 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 it's tough. Like the, the PPC right now only has a third of the conservatives uh, and we've grown our membership. So maybe we truly are the populist party. Yeah. You mentioned a truck and I think you were going to use the words we the people. I love we the people. It should be in our constitution. <laughs> so, okay, so that's that's one of the things that I'm trying to make sense of because when I I have an idea in my mind of what we the people means. I'm interested to get your take on that because as I'm hearing people use it now within either the freedom movement or the PPC, I think it's it's meaning something different to some people, but I'll just throw it to you. What does we the people mean to you? Uh, we, we the people means is that we are above the government, right? They're there to bid our will. Uh, mm -hmm. Personally, if they break the contract, they should be gone. I can't believe we don't have recalls or some way, uh, you know, because you saw it in Manitoba, blatant lies. Right there, guy gets elected, and then he can do what he wants, right? And you're stuck for four years. Um, so we the people is, we the people are the rulers, right? We have abdicated or, or delegated uh, some of the responsibilities to the government, uh, and the government should fulfill the will of the people. But it's not happening. Uh, Hamilton, uh, about eight months ago, had a survey to the parents. Hey, what do you think of Soji? Super majority? No. 70, 80%? No. And what do they do? They put it in. That's not we the people. We the people would have been, oh my gosh, really? You guys feel that way? We had no idea. We're going to throw Soji out. That's we the people. That's the best I can describe it. Okay. I'm going to throw this out to you and then get you to comment. To me, we the people always represented sort of a libertarian perspective where oh. we the people means protection of individual like liberty, individual rights and freedoms, individual rights and freedoms, right? In a very American sense. Uh, it, it, these are words that uh, tie into the creation of and the, the maintenance of a republic, which is what they have in the U.S., right? In Canada, we have a dominion. It's, it's not a republic. It's a, it's a constitutional monarchy thing, right? So we, we come from the, the British system, um, and we're not a republic. It's, it's just a, 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 it's a bit of a different system. Both democracies, if you will. But what I'm hearing people here in Canada, when they're, when they're using we the people, I think, it, like, to me, that's what it stands for. So when I've seen, you know, the sovereignty movement uh, as it is in Canada, you latch on to that. When I'm seeing the freedom movement by extension um, or integration even into that, use that phrase, we the people. When I see people within the PPC, also by extension, use that phrase, we the people, or even other provincial political parties um, upstart political parties latch on to that and use we the people. I think what it dawned on me about two weeks ago when, when, I was, when someone was using it, they're not thinking of it in the same way. They're thinking of it in collectivist terms, socialistic terms. They're yeah. thinking of it as we the people, as a collective. Yeah. 
almost communistic, right? Which really, I had a real hard time wrapping my head around that for a while. There was a lady who wanted to be a candidate, ran for a candidate for the candidacy of the PPC in the last election. She didn't get the candidacy, but she said that the PPC has an image problem because so many people in the public view the PPC as a communist party. And it's partly because of the name, but also because of the way people speak. And I could never wrap my head around that because we, the people to me and just everything the PPC stood for was conservatism. It's it's uh, you know protection of individual rights and freedoms. But I am seeing, I have seen, I think, an evolution of that because you're bringing people from across the political spectrum in, and more and more influence from the left. The the this, and when I say the left, I mean the socialist left, not necessarily the neoliberal woke left, but the socialist left. Who maybe feel like their they that the, their political movement has left them as the conservative movement left me, because they're not woke. But now when they say we the people, they're thinking of it as a socialistic, communistic, collectivist, or maybe even you know you could I don't care what kind of collectivism you're talking about, but it could be even the fascistic collectivism without maybe the racism attached to it, but collectivism nonetheless. In that sense, they're using we the people. And it was the way that it was used about two weeks ago that I just clued right in. And it was like, oh, that guy's thinking of it in upside down way, right? It's the other way around. It's not about individual rights and freedoms. It's about collectivism. Um, I, I just throw that out there. What do you think? All right. I canvass a lot. You know, I knock on a lot of doors. Yeah. I'm not shy. I need to meet people. I love people. I go out and I do it. So I meet a couple, uh, a, a couple having a couple over, kind of like, you know, you're doing the, the neighbors are over, you're sitting, and you pull out the lawn chairs, you're all sitting around. Yep. We walk up, never heard of the PPC before. What's the name? And they gave us water, really nice people, super wicked nice. Uh, and the first thing he said to me was what you just said. He goes, people's party. That sounds kind of communist to me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not sure. Um, it feels like the rainbow, God's gift to man as a promise to not flood the earth and being bastardized and now associated with uh, what I would consider uh, child grooming and stuff. So it, it's really bizarre that way. To me, I always think of we the people as rugged individualism, freedom, kind of a libertarian Ron Paul kind of feel. Me too. That's the way uh, I, did. I always thought of it too. Yeah. He's kind of libertarian, but he's a little, well, actually, Rand Paul, he's a fiscal conservative too. So I, I don't know if anyone's truly a libertarian, uh, but a lot of uh, libertarian uh, in our party, right? Individual freedoms, uh, responsibility, fairness, respect. Uh, and we want to balance the budget. We want to stop spending money. So for us, we the people is uh, if you want to fly your Nazi flag, um, we're not going to put you in jail. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're probably going to get a lot of people telling you to piss off and you're an idiot. And that's their right too, as long as we're not fighting violence or not inciting hate. Like, hey, let's get them and beat them up. Like to me, that's kind of hate speech. Uh, so I, I, I get what you're saying, and, I, and I've, I've heard it twice out of, uh, you know, big, I don't know how many doors I've done, maybe, I don't know, two, three thousand doors yeah. in the last year. Uh, and I've heard it a couple times. So I'm really disappointed that people uh, lose the true tradition because we the people came from the United States, uh, the, the, the freedom to break the divine right of kings. 
uh, came with that document. And that document's one of the greatest documents in the world, uh, uh, you know, next to the Bible. And, and maybe there's other documents or books that are equal to that. But to me, it's the crux of, 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 of individual society today of the West. It's all built on, hey, you want to wear a mask? Go ahead. But I'm not. But don't make me. Uh, you want to get the jab? I don't care. Go ahead. Just mm -hmm. don't make me. Right. Like, so, well, how do we address that? Right. Like you, you've, you've picked up on it. I, I kind of saw it, but it was very little in my polling. The funny, uh, the funny thing is, Michael, I mean, I think if you even just started to talk to people just around you for a long time, it's like, I've, I, I just came to realize that people are saying, using the exact same words, even within the same group, but meaning something completely different in their minds. So I, I don't know exactly where the party is ideologically right now because we've had so, so much, such diversity, if you will, politically come into the party. So I'm not sure where the party sits actually ideologically, whether it's more socialistic now than it is conservative. I think maybe in many respects it is because the other thing that I'm hearing from people all the time is, you know, on the uh, I'm very tuned into economics, and when I'm listening to the way people talk about economic issues, it's very, very left wing. It's very socialistic. You know, blaming price, uh, or, you know, inflation, not on the government, but on the corporations or the or oh. companies or businesses. It's like, you know that that merchant is charging way too much it's because he's getting rich well no it's because everything's costing that business a lot more money too and it's because of money excessive money printing and macroeconomic policies that our government is employing that has fueled inflation and yes some people do get rich from that and it ain't us but to, to blame business owners that's a very socialistic sort of perspective on it and that's you know that's really what jagmeet singh does and justin trudeau too and i see even people within the people's party of canada and the freedom movement sort of taking that same view it's in if you don't understand economics it's easy to get walked down that path i just seems to me like there are just political forces at play that have come into the party that are, are grabbing a hold of the, the the party itself and the membership and they're pulling the whole thing over to a more socialistic um to the to the socialism oh. side right yeah i i'm i'm seeing it in the media from um mm -hmm. from pierre polyev from jagmeet from trudeau uh, i don't even know who the green person is i don't follow I don't elizabeth may yeah is it may yeah, I yeah. whatever. I just follow the other three guys, and and they are all doing the same thing. They're all marching the drum of the WEF agenda twenty thirty. Right? Uh, they're not taking responsibility for the fact. Like Max spoke mm -hmm. out. I spoke out even before I was a candidate. This is stupid. Why are you locking down? Uh, and why are you printing all this money? Like, don't mm -hmm. print money that you're going to cause inflation and you're going to cause supply chain issues. So we've been calling that out since the beginning uh, of of this pandemic uh, and calling out those. And no one else is. Everyone's like, oh, hey, mass immigration, build more houses. No, your economics, guy, supply, demand. The solution is the demand side. 100,000, maybe 150,000. We are able to build 250,000 houses. You give a little bit of time for a few years to go through. 
Uh, the rest of it's the provincial governments. They got to, you know, work on the regu regulations to promote uh, building. Uh, maybe it's municipal codes. I don't know. But from a macro yeah. level, it's the demand of immigrants coming in. Like, it's just black and white. Um, and as far as the, uh, I haven't personally heard any other candidates speak uh, in a socialist manner in any way. Uh, I would be shocked, and I'd probably phone them and give them shit. It's soft language. Right. <laughs> it's soft. It's it's soft. It's not like they're standing up there intentionally taking a socialistic perspective on it. And Max, you know, all of his economic policies, which you know, when when I hear him speak, it's still very conservative on his side. But when I'm talking to the to the people who who are involved in the party, you know, they they buy into uh, the the socialist rhetoric on the on the the on the economics files for sure it's it's uh, it's very kind of, it's kind of bizarre to me um in a, in a big shift that i've noticed and, that, and even with the use of the we the people phrase uh, things of that nature and i could get into more specifics but i was just interested in your take on it because it it, it is something i think that will be a challenge for the ppc and the in the years ahead as you you deal with and it always is with populism any populist political party all through history whether in the united states or canada they tend to self-destruct after a while because there's usually one galvanizing issue that comes to the forefront to bring everybody together from across the political spectrum where they're so upset about something like lockdowns and mandatory vaccinations, things like that. And it grows because of that. But once that issue is sort of dealt with, all these other issues um, come to bear. And because they don't agree on so many other things, because they are so diverse ideologically, these political movements have a difficult time holding together over the long haul. That's why all through history, you've seen them come, galvanize, grow, and then blow up and, and disintegrate, and then yeah. reemerge later on. It's not like liberalism or conservatism. It's a different kind of political ideology. Yeah, it's, it's populism is very close to libertarianism. Like, mm. so almost every time you get really pissed off, it's because someone's stepping on you, right? Yeah. Uh, they've crossed the line, they're in your pocket, uh, they're telling you what to do, how to raise your kids. Uh, so I think we've addressed the one issue uh, party stance because obviously our policies uh, supersede the mandates. It it's just happens that we're built on freedom because we're libertarian, right? We want smaller government. Uh, mm -hmm. We're conservative because we, we, we value the values of European and Christian values, right? We, we do. And we believe in fiscal responsibility. And I don't think those things will ever go away. Uh, and if you look at the populism in, in uh, Europe right now, uh, you're seeing a, a lot more staying power. So you might actually see uh, the party grow and not merge like the Reform Party did. It blew up and it just went to red Tory, yep. right? Like, and then we're yep. just back to the same place in 20 years. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm confident that that won't happen. I'm very happy with the German uh, party that's a populist party. Uh, in Netherlands, you're seeing it. You're seeing it with Le Pen in France. I can't believe she didn't win, but she didn't, but she's awesome. You're seeing it in Italy. Uh, so I, I don't think the party is going to go anywhere uh, anytime soon uh, because it's built on those foundations of libertarian philosophy of individual freedom, personal responsibility, uh, you, you respect um, and fairness. 
Uh, and then when you look at our financial policies, they're all conservative, small C, small business, fiscal type uh, things. And as long as we adhere to those policies that resonate uh, with our members, and you, you had a good point. Some people join, right? I always ask them when I'm canvassing with them, like, hey, and I'm training them. Why did, what made you, you know, I, well, I'll always do the interview, like, hey, who are you? Uh, what, what, what led you here? Uh, and where would you like to go? Uh, and a lot of times those people, I, I tell them, like, what got you here? And one guy is the vaccine mandates. Another guy is the inflation. Another guy is mass immigration. Tons lately of new members are the gender ideology. They just feel that Pierre uh, and Jagme, and well, for sure, Trudeau, because he's shoving it down our throats. Uh, they just don't, they just feel that they're, they're not adequately represented. Uh, and then the CPC will just do the convention and say, oh, we'll put these policies here, but they never make them a policy. If you notice the PPC, when we say something, we do it, we stick to it, and we very rarely change our mind, even if we have changed our mind. If anything, we enhance our policy as we start to uh, listen to our new members that come in and our older members as they change. If you look at the PPC policies, they're <coughs> almost verbatim. I mean, they've been expanded a bit from what Max ran on and came this close to winning the, the conservative uh, leadership, right? So, you know, Andrew Jackson faded, and then you got back to the red, blue, red, blue, red, blue, screw you type government, military complex. Uh, we're probably in the same boat, except they had to capture three of the parties. Uh, so we're really hoping that uh, we're going to be able to keep the momentum. And, and like you said, you are correct, right? <clears throat> the liberal came to us because of the lockdowns great guy did the uh, what an amazing guy helped out so much get the food <clears throat> helped out our riding for so long uh, and then when i started to protest the oakville shop teacher i lost him as a member a donor and a board member uh, mm -hmm. but i gained four more so i see the party growing uh, as it sheds each piece there they it, it's almost like you're going to take four steps forward and one backwards and then two steps forward, one backwards. Um, and our party isn't going to change our policies because when you're when you're right and you're speaking the truth, it doesn't matter whether it's popular or not. Just keep speaking it just like we did in the mandates. Just keep telling the truth. Keep telling the truth. Keep being honest and keep keeping the, the people's interests at the base of your policies. And it's just a matter of time. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you know, it's going to be a challenge for the party. I have no doubt about it. Even when I look at li the Libertarian Party, uh, you know, down especially down in the U.S., they if you look at the membership of the Libertarian Party, you start to talk to the people who are involved. You're you get this bizarre sort of cross section of political views because. You get libertarians who are probably closer to you and I who want limited government, but then I'll run into a, a libertarian Marxist who. Whoa, you, there's like, such a thing? Oh, there's such a thing, absolutely. A Whoa. libertarian Marxist, which seems like an oxymoron, but oh, yeah, that's a very real thing because they feel like the government is basically screwing people over. Libertarians do too, right? Government, too much government, there's taxes are theft. So you start getting into that area. And 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 you start to get this attract these people who also just they're there because they see the government as oppressive. And then you just start to move down the 
down the, the line with these different ideas and it just kind of morphs into these different viewpoints where they the people do come together but there's like libertarian marxists and and straight up libertarians where they want like almost no almost no government and then you get into actual anarchists right which is understandable on the libertarian side because you want limited government as as a libertarian and some people will take that all the way over to the extreme and join the libertarian party because they don't want any freaking government and you get people there who feel like there's no political solution that that the that the party system is broken your vote doesn't count for anything so i'm going to join the libertarian party as an alternative and we just don't want any government anymore at all so you're kind of getting this wraparound uh thing going on with with libertarianism it's it's very strange that's where the ppc is right now you're getting people from that that um you know from all over the place and in fact i was at a barbecue uh during the last election and I, I was speaking with a very prominent person from the PPC, and I won't tell you who it was because I don't, I don't want to speak out of school here, okay? But I had a no, lengthy that's... conversation with this person, um, very prominent in the party, and absolutely an anarchist. Absolutely an anarchist. Libertarian anarchist within the PPC, very, very prominent person. And I was like... Holy crap. And they were like, nope, there's no political solution. And I'm like, well, I sure hope you're wrong, because if that's the case, then, you know, I don't want to think about what it's going to take to, to get the change that no, but absolutely right there. Right. So you're getting people with all these different views on that side. Yeah, like uh, I'm. Yeah, like <laughs> that's you, politics, though, right? You you, you get a lot of. Um, diverse views uh, that's yeah. for sure uh, my membership is primarily uh primarily families family oriented uh most of them are church goers not everybody uh and uh, a lot of them <laughs> came from the uh the ndp uh the greens yeah. see um, there you go yeah so it, it is kind of interesting um it's it's weird that the greens come to us because they feel like they're lied to about climate change and they're environmentalists. They want to protect mm -hmm. the nesting ground of a bird uh, because, and, and, you know, protect the species or they want to do better forest management or right. when you run a pipeline, they want to have special safety mechanisms. If there's a spill, you can have a big drain that we can, you know, a game plan to save the environment and they feel let down. And then the NDP, they're always talking to me. I would kill it in Hamilton uh, because there's so much NDP there. I'd probably, I'd probably be three times as many members as I have now. I'd probably be a 10% to 30%. Mm -hmm. But uh, where I am, it's like you said, it's conservative and liberal. And then it's us and the NDP with like 10% or 8%, whatever, we're small. Um, but there is 40% that's available. Uh, and I'm not sure what type of people they'll be. Uh, I, I might find a couple anarchists in the uh, 40%. Uh, I might yeah. find a communist that's just really confused about our policies. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Dude, you're in the wrong party, man. Um, yeah, we're individualism. You should look up individualism and collectivism. And uh, get back to me if you still want right. to sign up for this membership. <laughs> you know, like, so, uh, and I've met people like, like we've got like very highly educated successful people and we've got your normal joe guy that's working at tim hortons 
so it's 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 really an amazing mosaic of different backgrounds. Uh, I haven't found too many too many of those extremes you're mentioning in my particular travels, mm-hmm. but uh, during the lockdowns, I found some pretty extreme people that were just <laughs> a little. Yeah, hey, don't sign him as a member. Yeah, <laughs> see, skip that guy. He's too crazy, uh, you know. Uh, but those things inevitably could happen. Uh, and and I know we're going to have a tough slog. A lot of people predict that. Uh, and, and I'm not sure I follow it totally. Uh, and maybe they're right, maybe they're not. But they need the, like Europe, if we follow the European pattern, we need one more majority conservative government to screw us. And then they'll believe us. Right. Like and we're we're one election behind. Uh, and, and that's what some of the numbers have said in Europe, how it happened. You know, they needed to they needed to have the conservatives say all the things they wanted. Yeah, I'll fight gender ideology. Yeah, I'm going to make rollback gun laws. Yeah, I'm going to like whatever it is that they say. Right. And didn't mean don't do it. Uh, and then the landslide goes to the populist party. That's what we've seen in Italy. Uh, we're going to probably see it in Germany. We've seen it in Netherlands. Um, and Poland and Hungary already had their heads screwed on straight a long time ago <laughs> with regards to uh, how to run a country, how not to have mass immigration, uh, how to have organic growth, how to protect your culture, assimilate people. Uh, so those are the lessons for Canada. And so, you know, maybe I won't get in until 2029. I don't know. But uh, along the way, like I said, I'm Michael Bader the dad uh, with a daughter in school, and I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about my friend's small business. I'm concerned about uh, my own bodily rights and my own rights and freedoms to travel. So regardless of that, it's going to be an interesting ride. I can't not look at the tyranny and walk away from it, and I will just fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it. And if I don't get in, so be it. But hopefully I'm making a difference in my community. Well, historically, populist parties have been parties of the people. They have been parties um, for the working class. Um, Politics has been sort of inverted in recent years where conservatives who used to be viewed as uh, working for big business and capitalism, if you want to characterize it that way, um, are now also sort of more fighting on the, the side of the common the common person but the ppc even more more so as a populist party uh, it's a party um fighting for the common man uh, for, for common people uh, yeah, and well, that's, and, yeah. And you you nailed that um so when i was doing the reason why i think i do well in hamilton is because they're ndp uh and during the rallies that i stand for farmer no it wasn't that one i I am. I supported support them a lot in in their rallies and things like that. And I think it was around the truckers, the second week of the trucker convoy, uh, we were rallying in Hamilton. Um, and I remember having the bullhorn, and I said, "Hey, so how are your unions doing, boys?" And everyone's like, "Boo, boo!" Hey, how's that NDP party of the workers working out for you? Oh my God! And they were booing like crazy. Uh, so mm-hmm. you know that the residents of the PPC, uh, they're almost, we're literally, we are the work working people's party. We yep. are the small business party. We are the fiscally responsible party. And we're the party that wants you to select your path in life. We don't want to interfere. 
we don't want to uh, impose, right? Because I think the only thing in the way of Canada being great is the government, right? Unleash Alberta, unleash the East, right? Unleash Canadians, allow competition, take the barriers to agriculture out, take the barriers out in small businesses uh, and all these regulations. One of my members, uh, a great guy, um, he's, he, he, in COVID, he had it. He said, that's enough. I'm selling my business. I'm done. I can make money. But every time I change my computer systems or my this, the government comes out with another regulation, costs me more money. And then I do it again. And then they tax me more. I'm out of here. I'm just going to go back to being a, a regular mechanic or a carpenter, uh, you know, and, and he left. He sold his small business. And that's not right. I want to see people like that thrive. Right. And, and every time the guy gets ahead, I, I go into his pocket and steal from him. And that's not right. Uh, PPC government believes in you, right? You decide where that money goes. I'm not going to suck up all your money. What's happening now is they're sucking up all my money and they're spending it on crap that doesn't help me out in any way, shape or form. Leave me the money. Let me spend it. We're at 40% tax or so more. It's robbery. And nobody's talking about it. And the things killing our country are mass immigration, uh, the gender ideology and the climate hoax scam to tax crap out of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. now they're attacking farmers, energy and food. You're attacking energy and food. And that's supposed to be in the best interest of the people. Uh, no, everything was fine until you touched it, until you had your carbon taxes, until you set up your committees, until you have your Islamophobia dollars, until you send $10 billion or whatever we send to Ukraine. This stuff's got to stop. Right. The PPC wants to put Canada first. And I hate the fact that we get in trouble for thinking of Canadians and get smeared for thinking of Canadians by all parties, right? We, whether, they, whether they're our cousin or whether they're like just way out there, like, you know, it doesn't matter. They're all after us because we want to put Canadians first instead of the globalist W, uh, you know, the, the WEF policies, you know, their immigration pact, their Paris Accord, they're inclusive. You can see the word games, right? Inclusive, yep. the rainbow. And now they're stealing we the people from the American Constitution and trying to change the definition of it. So yeah. I don't know how we'll fight this stuff. I'm not sure. I'm fighting hard to get my seat. I'm going to do everything I can to give a voice. I'm giving everything I can to the community to try to make the community better. Uh, and if I fail to give them a voice at the federal level, at least I gave them a voice at their community levels, helped organize them, helped support them. And to me, that's the reward. Uh, the cherry on top would be actually getting to go to, to the House of Commons and holding these people responsible and starting to put Canadians first. Very well said. Michael Bator, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. It's been a delight to have this conversation with you. It's been, uh, I, I, I've really enjoyed this. Um, oh, well, me too. Yeah. And uh, I love the fact that you're transparent, open-minded. Uh, you're in tune with what's affecting the country. Uh, and it's great to have a discussion to discuss our ideas uh, because that's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to go, oh, my God, Rick didn't get vax. I'm not talking to him. He's an anti-vaxxer. Uh, or, you know, oh, oh, yeah. that Mike guy, he was at the trucker thing. Uh oh. And I'm sick and tired of that. The identity politics got to go. They're all playing the same game. They're shaking the jar with the ants. And I'm sick of being shaken. It is so refreshing to be on a show. I don't think you're that far from me. We should have a beer one day. I think we should. Absolutely. Michael, thank you very much. Um, we're going to take a break, folks, and I will come back on the other side, and the show will continue. 
But uh, yeah, we're going to wrap up with Michael. And thank you again, sir. We'll have you back on real soon. Thank you. And thank you to your audience. It's been a pleasure to be here. You take care. And don't forget, you uh, this time I remembered, you can follow me at michaelbader.com. Last time I forgot, he reminded me, so I'm letting you know. And when you thank go to the you. website, you can click anything, Twitter, Instagram, email. Uh, within five seconds, it'll ask you if you want to go into the newsletter. Rick, thanks a lot for being in the newsletter. I really appreciate that. It uh, it, it really... You know, I write things and I wonder how people feel about it. And to be on the show and discuss this topic with you was really awesome. So thank you so much. My pleasure. My privilege. And again, we'll have you back. All right, Take folks, care. here we go. FreedomReporters.com. That's FreedomReporters.com. Maverick News. The antivirus program for your mind. And I'm back. Okay, so what are we going to talk about now? I don't know. That was a great conversation, though. I'm really grateful to Michael for doing that. Um, it was uh, enlightening. I guess we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on in Israel. And I just have a message coming in here. Okay, just checking. Those messages that come in, sometimes they have news stories that we really should touch on when they, uh, when they erupt, so it keeps us current. Uh, so Joe Biden met with... Um, Jewish community leaders today at a roundtable discussion. And uh, America's second gentleman, I think, is the way you refer to it, if I get it correct. Anyway, the, the vice president's husband. He was uh, at the uh, side of Joe Biden this afternoon, and we're going to go to the White House for remarks from both him and the president. Let me just get this up on the screen for you. And off we go to the White House. And here we go. And gentlemen of the United States, Mr. Douglas Emhoff. Please, everybody sit down. Thank you. Please be seated. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's start by just saying the vice president and I are outraged 
at these horrific terrorist attacks in Israel perpetrated by Hamas. We are outraged. With our broken hearts, we are sending our love, our strength, and our unwavering support to the people of Israel. I'm honored to be with all of you today as an American, as a patriot who loves this country, but also as a Jew. And like all Jews, I feel a deep, visceral connection to Israel and its people. We witnessed a mass murder of innocent civilians. It was a terrorist assault. There is never any justification for terrorism. There are no two sides to this issue. The images that we saw will be seared in our brains forever. Rockets falling on cities. People dragged from their homes and shot dead. Children sheltering from bullets. Bodies lining the streets. And all the while, we see videos of these terrorists cheering on these atrocities. The toll on Israel and the Jewish community is hard to imagine, but we can't imagine it because it's happening. And I know many of you have sent texts and calls this weekend, checking in on loved ones. And I know too many of you received heartbreaking replies. And we know today that at least 22 Americans won't be coming home. I know you're all hurting. The entire Jewish community is hurting. I'm hurting. And we grieve with you. We stand with you. But thank God we have the steady leadership of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris during this unthinkable time in our history. Their moral compass, their calm, their empathy, are what we need in this time of crisis. And we saw that yesterday when President Biden with Vice President Harris and Secretary Blinken by his side powerfully addressed the nation and made clear to the world that Israel has United States unwavering support. Our President and Vice President are making sure Israel has what it needs to defend itself. We are grateful for their leadership and support for Israel at this exceptionally difficult time. We also acknowledge and address how these events I'm going to talk about this in a minute. Jews, why we're here to have this discussion. I know many of us feel a deep fear that these attacks will unfortunately and already have led to a rise in hate and anti-Semitism. We're already seeing it. And that's why this discussion and the work you and your organizations do is so vitally important. Almost a year ago, I sat right in the giving room, and many of you were here with me that day. And then we called attention to the epidemic of hate that we're facing. And following that meeting, we took action. And in May, the Biden-Harris administration released the first ever national strategy to counter anti-Semitism. The plan includes over 100 meaningful actions we are taking right now to fight back against anti-Semitism <clears throat> and hate. And each of you played a role in crafting this strategy. We couldn't have done this without you. So thank you for the work that you've done, that you're continuing to do. And as we're gonna discuss later, um, myself and the Biden-Harris administration officials are working with federal, state, and local leaders to implement this plan across the country. 
We're going to continue to bring people together, and importantly, we're going to build coalitions to fight back against hate. We cannot do this alone. The story of the Jewish people has always been one of perseverance and resilience. In dark times, we come together and we fight back, and we also seek to build a better world. Last year, before my trip to Poland and Germany, President Biden took me into the Oval Office. He told me how his father had taught him about the horrors of the Holocaust and how he later traveled to Dachau with his children and grandchildren to teach them those same lessons. So I know firsthand how important it is to President Biden to preserve our Jewish history and to make sure that hate has no safe harbor in America and the world. As an American Jew, I am so grateful that in this moment of tumult and pain, we have Joe Biden as president and Kamala Harris as vice president. It is now my honor to introduce a true advocate for the Jewish community. Please join me in welcoming President Joe Biden. Politics is upside down. I'll tell you why soon. Folks, uh, I came first of all to say thank you. Thank you to all of you in this room. You've not only cared, but you've, uh, you've been breaking your neck the last couple of years to deal with this overall issue of anti-Semitism. And I know many of you are personally impacted by what's happened in Israel. There are thousands of dual citizens, maybe some of your relatives that are there. And Doug, I want to thank you for all the work you've done on behalf of our administration to combat anti-Semitism. <clears throat> and uh, I apologize. I've been on the phone around the clock with our friends around the world, quite frankly, discussing what's going on in Israel. And, uh, and uh, I want you to know that uh, I want to thank you as well for uh, all of you as well for working uh, the work you're doing to bring comfort and uh, in this moment of grief for those of you who are grieving as well. And, uh, and you'll read this weekend in synagogue the Torah teaches us that God made stars to quote give light on the earth and separate light from darkness give light on the earth and separate light from darkness. You know, uh, it's been hard to find that light during the darkness of these past few days. Uh, when terrorist groups like Hamas uh, brought not only terror, but sheer evil, sheer evil to the world, evil that echoes the worst and matches, in some cases, exceeds the worst atrocities of ISIS. More than 1,000 civilians slaughtered in Israel. By the way, I've been speaking with a number of Israeli leaders, a number of leaders around the world, leaders in the region as well. And, uh, you know, uh, among those who have been victimized this evil, who have been, who have been killed, are at least 22 American citizens. This attack uh, was uh, a campaign of pure cruelty, not, not just hate, but pure cruelty against the Jewish people. 
And I would argue it's the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. The deadliest day since the Holocaust. One of the worst chapters in human history that remind us all that, that expression I learned from my dad early on, silence is complicity. I'm not, I mean, silence is complicity. It really is. And I want you to know, I think you've already figured it out, I refuse to be silent. I know you refuse to be silent as well. And you all, I know you're here with my senior staff. You all represent a voice that America has to hear. America can't be silent. You know, uh, we not only reject terrorism, but uh, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond rejecting terrorism. You know, I spoke with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu for I don't know how many times, but this, again this morning. And uh, already we're, uh, we're surging additional military assistance to the Israeli Defense Force, including ammunition, interceptors to replenish the Iron Dome, and we've moved the U.S. carrier fleet to the Eastern Mediterranean, and we're sending more fighter jets there in that region. And made it clear, made it clear to the Iranians, be careful. We want to make it real clear. We're working on every aspect of the hostage crisis in Israel, including deploying experts to advise and assist with recovery efforts. Now, the press is going to shout to me, and many of you are, that, you know, what are you doing to bring these, get these folks home? If I told you, I wouldn't be able to get them home. Folks, there's a lot we're doing. A lot we're doing. I have not given up hope on bringing these folks home. But the idea that I'm going to stand here before you and tell you what I'm doing is bizarre. So I hope you understand how bizarre I think it would be to try to answer that question. In the days ahead, we're going to continue to work closely with our partners in Israel and around the world to ensure Israel has what it needs to defend its citizens, its cities, and to respond to these attacks. As I said yesterday, my commitment to Israel's security and the safety of the Jewish people is unshakable. The United States has Israel's back, and I have yours as well, both at home and abroad. You know, you can see the pain in some of your faces I walked into this room. You okay, kiddo? Well, your fear, for family, friends back in Israel. You worry about kids being targeted in school, about, uh, about going about their daily lives. Uh, you hurt uh, by the downplaying of Hamas's atrocities and blaming Israel. This is unconscionable. And I've asked members of my team, including Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas and Attorney General Garland, to work intensively with our Jewish community partners so, so many of you here to set up security around Jewish life in America identify, prevent, and disrupt emerging threats that occur. You know, we're also going to continue to condemn and combat anti-Semitism at every single turn, at every turn. You know, the past few days have been a solemn reminder that hate never goes away. If the, hold on a second, I used to, I used to think you could defeat hate, that you could make it, 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 all it does is go underground. It just goes underground, it doesn't go away. It only hides until it's given a little oxygen, a little bit of oxygen. And that's why I've secured the largest ever increase in funding for physical security for nonprofits, including synagogues, Jewish community centers, Jewish day schools. 
and in May we released the first ever national strategy to counter anti-Semitism. With the input from many of you in this room, many of you in this room helped write that. It's the most ambitious comprehensive effort to combat anti-Semitism in American history, in all of American history. And we're aggressively implementing it. But, but, we must all do our part and forcefully speak out against anti-Semitism and push back against the attempts to deny or distort the facts. To make clear, there is no place for hate in America. Not against Jews, not against Muslims, not against anybody. And we mourn the act, an act uh, you uh, and so many leaders have across the country showing us what thousands of years of Jewish history has shown us. The enduring strength, and I mean this sincerely, the enduring strength and spirit of the Jewish community. If, I, if you excuse a point of personal privilege, you should say in the Senate. That's why I took my kids, everyone when they turned 14 years old, one at a time, put them on a plane and took them to Dachau. I wanted them to see. You could not not know what was going on walking through those gates. You could not fail to understand as a country what was going on. And that's a fact. It had a profound impact on my children and my grandchildren. Some thought taking a 14-year-old grandchild and not make mistake, but I took them one at a time. I got three more to go. And folks, it's important. You know, the miracle of Israel is Israel. It's Israel itself. The hope it inspires. The light it represents to the world. And, uh, folks, um, I was asked uh, in one of my very frank conversations with Bibi and uh, Herzog, so why do I feel so deeply about this? It's not about the region. I truly believe, were there no Israel, no Jew in the world would be ultimately safe. It's the only ultimate guarantee. The only ultimate guarantee. The only ultimate guarantee. And folks, because of you, and I mean this sincerely, because you're speaking up, because of the intensity and the intellect and the brilliance you bring to this cause, I think we have a chance to end this in a way that is — that makes it very difficult for it to be repeated. I want to thank you for your leadership. And as I said, there's a lot to talk about. And uh, — but I'm really, quite frankly, concerned as to — it's hard to talk about this without detail. And it's contrary to our interest to let out the detail of what we're going on. I mean, this is just round the clock, as you understand. You fully understand. But, you know, uh, I've known Bibi for over 40 years. In a very frank relationship. I know him well. And the one thing that I did say that it is really important that Israel, with all the anger, frustration, and just do not explain it, that exists, is that they operate by the rules of war. The rules of war. And there are rules of war.
and uh, and I believe Israel is doing everything in its power to uh, to pull the country together, stay on the same page, and we're going to do everything in our power to make sure Israel succeed, and God willing, to bring home those Americans who are in harm's way. I'm, I'm going to let you all have the private conversation you've been having, which you should continue to have. But uh, it just came to basically, I really mean it from the bottom of my heart. I give you my word as a Biden. Thank you. Thank you for the intensity of your support. It matters. It matters that Americans see what's happening. I mean, I, I, I've been doing this a long time. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. I never thought I'd ever, anyway, I, uh, but there are countries in the region that are trying to be of some help, including Arab nations that are trying to be of some help. So, uh, anyway. From my faith, from my faith, my faith that, uh, that at the core of every human being is a spark of humanity and decency. It's got to be touched. It's got to be spoken to. That's what you do. That's why you're here. It's not about, you know, revenge. It's about, it's about decency, just basically decent, just basic decency. Treating people with a sense of, God, I don't quite how to say it. Because you're senile. But I know we can overcome this. I know we can overcome this. Look, I don't know anything about the kind of loss it's talking about. I know a little bit of like to feel loss, lose people you adore, get a phone call saying they're gone. I get that part. Not the same. But I get the part. And what I've learned is that if we, as we persevere, we can grow. And the day will come when the memory of that person or those persons bring a smile to your lips before it brings a tear to your eye. It will happen. It will happen. But God, it takes a long time sometimes. And when it's born out of something that has been anything from a mistake to a, a vicious, vicious attempt, you know, it, 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 it varies in degrees. I'm not saying I know the same. But I, I just, look, I mean. Uh, I'll never forget. Yes, you will. In two minutes, you'll forget. Anyway. You just I, forgot. I, I just think that. Uh, if we stay true to our values, pursue with every inch and every bit of our energy to get this right, we can bury this again and bring people back, bring people home and bring it together. I think we can, I think we can change the Middle East. But then again, I have been referred to as a, uh, a congenital optimist. And I'm not going to answer any questions to you guys right now, but my 
My team here knows that when, when the press is gone, they'll talk more directly to you. But even then, they're not going to be able to tell you all that we're doing and all that's going on. So. Our question, sir, would we, would we please say thank you? 80 years ago this week, 80 years ago this week, a group of 400 rabbis came to Washington hoping to meet with Franklin Delano Roosevelt and appeal to him to act to rescue the Jews who were being persecuted in Europe. And they were refused meeting with President Roosevelt. They were refused entry to the White House. And the fact that we are here today and you have spoken as the President of the United States so clearly in support of Israel, so clearly in support of the Jewish people, and so and welcome leaders and representatives of the Jewish community into the White House for this discussion shows what a dramatic distance we've traveled in these United States, and we as the Jewish community are blessed to live today in these United States, and we thank you for your leadership and your moral fire. made <clears throat> notes can't really see it's a mess my notes are a mess because the whole situation is a mess giant mess a mess and it's beyond serious beyond dangerous beyond dangerous oh my god I'm going to take a break I'm going to come back I'm going to dig into it I'm going to give you a take on this nobody else is giving you I'm going to explain why this is so dangerous this isn't just about Israel this is about the West it's about you it's about the impact it's going to have on us right here at home. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The, the world, world is, is watching. And yes, we do need your support. I got giant bills to pay. They are coming due. And I could use your help. At freedomreporters.com. That's the truth. That's the truth, too. Uh... 
Yeah. Freedomreporters.com. You can also donate at maverickdonations.com. If you are watching on Rumble, you can donate through the Rumble Rants as well. Certainly would appreciate the help. Um, but yeah, most people are over here at freedomreporters.com. Please like, share, subscribe as well. That helps us too. Please subscribe over on Rumble. That's where we're growing. Okay, so here's what's going on. This started with Ukraine. NATO pushes into Ukraine. They get right up onto the doorstep of Russia. We all know what's been going on there. The war is not going as well for NATO and the United States as we have been told. Now it's we're beginning to, to get the truth about that. Russia has achieved pretty much what it wants to achieve there. They're going to hold on to that territory. At this point, I think the best we can hope for is that this thing comes to a, an end pretty soon in Ukraine and Russia just keeps what it has and we get peace. I'm not so sure that's going to happen, though, because NATO has been doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on everything. And because there has been no resolution and every effort to make peace has failed because it's just rejected out of hand by the West, we're now seeing expansion of the war, which is already a world war being fought in non-kinetic ways. But now it's opened up a whole new front. Not here. No, no. The strategists who are opposed to the United States and NATO, well, they've figured this out. They've opened up the front on Israel. Why Israel? Because it paints the United States right into a, it just allows them to, they've just painted themselves into a corner. Look at what has happened over the last number of decades. The United States has alienated just about every country in the, in the Middle East. From Afghanistan to Iraq to Syria, the list goes on. What they did to Gaddafi. Is there a country over there that hasn't been brutalized, abused by an arrogant, overconfident American superpower that has been captured by politicians and a military industrial complex that continues to enrich itself at the expense of not just the American people, but people around the world. No, I think every country over there has been screwed. And so even when the United States has a friend like Saudi Arabia. They still don't like the United States. And Biden can't even get a proper greeting when he goes to visit. Everybody hates the United States of America in the Middle East because it's just a failed foreign policy. Now, you have Donald Trump in there for four years. He brings you the Abraham Accords. But as soon as the Democrats, the Fascocrats get back in, bingo, bam, back to war we go. Of course. So now we have a big, big problem. The media is just talking about this like it's uh, another war, a really bad war, the worst 
attack on Israel since the Holocaust. And yes, civilians killed, murdered. And then what's the response from Israel? Well, they bomb civilians on the other side. Really bad. And it's been really bad for a long time, which is why the Middle East hates Israel too. Because they've been doing really bad things with the backing of the United States and the NATO countries, but the U.S. So you got a lot of bad feelings and a lot of history. And the United States really has no choice. They must, they must support Israel. Because if they don't, it will be the Holocaust. The United States props up Israel. When Nikki Haley came out and said that this wasn't just an attack on Israel, it was an attack on America, she was actually kind of right. I don't like her. I didn't like her response overall. But in that context, in that way, even though I don't know if she fully understood what she was saying, she's actually kind of right. Because it is an attack on the United States. And that's really what this is about. This is a proxy war. against the U.S. A proxy war being fought by allies of Russia. So by extension, it's all linked back to that war in Ukraine where <laughs> Ukraine is fighting the war for the United States and NATO against Russia. So now they're just throwing it back in the face of Biden. It's like, I, you, you got your friends to come over here and fight with us? Well, we just got all our friends to go and fight with you. And there's a whole lot of friends now who have lined up to take shots at the U.S. through Israel. That's what's going on. And that is putting everything we have here in this peaceful, utopian West where every day is a day in paradise, it's putting it all at risk. It may all be coming to an end, folks. That's the reality. You see, <laughs> if they don't provide money, and weapons to Israel, you're going to have Iran and Syria and Lebanon and Egypt, probably, maybe, historically. Iraq, Afghanistan, they're all coming. They're all coming. And they will rule over Israel and it will be a massacre if once they run out of munitions if they can't if they don't have enough firepower to to keep that iron dome going if they don't have enough bullets and bombs they're done they don't have enough soldiers Israel is by population, a small country, and their military force 
is made up of maybe 400,000. 400,000, we're hearing that 400,000 soldiers in Ukraine have already died, Ukrainians. And they're still fighting. But in Israel, that's all they have. And they just opened up a second front, Syria, Lebanon. They're attacking Israel now. Not hearing a lot about it, not much in the mainstream media, but it's really serious. And Israel saying, oh, we can handle it. We don't need boots on the ground. That is PR. The United States moving ships into the area to provide support. But I'm telling you, with all these other countries lined up against Israel, they're lining up against the United States. And yes, it's true. The United States, through corruption, has been financing both sides. That's not so much government policy so much as it is government corruption. Politicians, people from the military-industrial complex, hijacking the system in order to funnel money and arms to Iran, to just all these different countries, to terrorist groups, including Hamas. Weapons sent to Ukraine that just never made it into the, into the battle, siphoned off, sold on the black market, sold or even given to terrorist groups, deals made to enrich certain politicians in the West, corrupt people. And so now they're armed to the teeth. And they don't just get support from the United States through that kind of funding. They get support from Iran, from Russia, because what kind of machine guns were they using when they were mowing down the civilians? Kalashnikovs. AK-47s. Not M-16s. We're in deep, deep, deep trouble. Because this is like check in chess. What, are, what is America going to do now? We already know that we're, we've run out of money here in the West because we dumped it all into Ukraine. We didn't have it to begin with because they've printed way too much money. They've gone way too far into debt. We've had Justin Trudeau here in Canada flying all over the world, giving away free money to every country and everybody that he wants to be his friend. In the United States, they've just blown the budget decade after decade after decade. They're trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. They can never pay it back. Honestly, the only thing that props up the U.S. economy right now is the military. Because when you're a superpower and you have military bases spread all over the globe, you kind of rule through fear. Or it's a protection racket. And that's kind of what's going on. And the United States has spread itself way too thin. It's not the superpower, I think, that we're being led to believe. Very vulnerable. Nuclear superpower? Yes. That's the scary part of all of this. And then ideologically, ethically, morally, this also blurs lines. 
Everybody should unlearn the history that they think they know, even the history surrounding Nazism, fascism, and World War II, because it is not black and white. It, there are shades of gray in the way all of that unfolded and the way that you know the different countries became involved in World War II in one way or another and the way that they and how they were involved as the war went on. Italy is a perfect example. Russia itself. I could lay out some stuff about Russia in World War II that people don't really ever think about. But the point that I'm making here right now is you have to think about politics in completely different terms today because everything going on over there in the Middle East doesn't really seem to make sense, especially if you start thinking about it in terms of fascism, Nazism, you know, protecting the Jews in Israel, how can any of this make sense? Well, which side is evil? And then they're referring to the Holocaust when they talk about this attack. It's true. So that's why I said, I've said over the last couple of months, well, who's the Nazi now? Which Nazi are we fighting? Who's the Nazi? It's very interesting, you know, because people on the left of the political spectrum political commentators, pundits, online streamers. You know what they're doing? They're portraying the Jewish people as fascistic. Israel as fascistic. Benjamin Netanyahu as a fascist. How can that be? They're Jews. How could a Jew be a fascist? Well, fascism isn't tied directly to race or even religion, or culture. No, it's an ideology. It's a, it's a political ideology, an economic ideology, a social ideology, for sure. Nazism, as part of fascism, or as you integrate those two ideas, national socialism or international socialism, fascism, it's, they, it, it relies often on scapegoating. They'll identify a particular group and scapegoat their problems. They'll say, they're the problem. That's we, that they, they create an enemy. That's what the Nazis did with the Jews. But here's the thing. Right now, you have the Palestinians who hate the Jews in Israel. And you have all these other countries lined up to go into Israel. And I'm telling you right now, there are, <laughs> from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That means they want to wipe it off the face of the planet. And Iran has stated that they want to do that. That's why every effort has been made to prevent them from getting an actual nuclear weapon. Because there's... There are many people who are afraid they will use it against Israel. Well, now, what do we have? We have the United States kind of isolated on this one. Yeah, there are the other NATO nations, but let's face it, the United States is NATO. They're at the head of it. And the West is already spread far too thin. And NATO itself is already now showing signs of cracking in terms of unity. Turkey, you know critical of where Biden stands on this. Hungary, critical of where Biden is on this. The United States has isolated itself in the Middle East. And Biden sits there tonight and says that without Israel, no Jew would be safe. 
I'm telling you right now, it's because of what they've done with Israel, the way that they've set this all up and made Israel so dependent on the United States for its very survival that every Jew there is at risk of extermination. But I heard, so who wanted to exterminate the Jews? The Nazis. But all the people on the neoliberal, well, not, not even neoliberal, but on the left side of the political spectrum, or the I don't know what, how you describe them anymore, but the alternative media even out there, the, these, these pundits, a lot of them, like they're lined up right with Palestine on this. And the other countries coming to bear here against Israel. Think about that for a minute. And look at what just happened in Israel. The slaughter that took place. And yes, I know there's propaganda. And yes, I know and I've already called it out. Outright lies about some of the things that happened in there. That happens with every war now, though. The truth is, though, we did have families slaughtered. Murdered. Crimes against humanity. Crimes against the Jewish people. War crimes committed. I would put it to you that what we saw happen, and when I say saw, it's true because you can find the videos online. I've seen the pictures from the hospitals too of the kids being treated, so many children being treated with wounds, severe wounds, severe burns, and the, the atrocities committed, I'm sorry, Got to be just as bad, maybe even worse than what the Nazis did during World War II on an individual basis in terms of the actual acts performed against other human beings that I've, I've witnessed myself now on, like, over the last number of days. Beheadings. Terrible. And the response from Israel... Horrific. We need peace from both sides. But who's the Nazi now? If we don't support Israel, it's gone. I mean, gone. I don't want to get, I normally, I'm like, we stay out of these wars, right? We keep our nose out of these wars. If we had done that, we wouldn't be here today talking about this. But we didn't. We let our leaders do what they want. And we let the corrupt people infiltrate and uh, attach like a leech to the system and the military industrial complex has run amok. So now it's the United States against the Middle East, all pretty much all the other countries there because of all the crap that's happened over there. You pissed them all off. You don't have any friends left. And even while they smile at you and sell you the oil, 
and allow the U.S. to keep his dollar propped up. It's just about money and corruption and smile and shake your hand while, you know, they prepare to stick the knife in your back when you, when you turn your back because you've been screwing them on the other side. So there's nothing friendly about any of this stuff. And now, because you've pushed right up against Russia, all of Russia's allies are now lined up against you, Biden. Trudeau. All of, all of them. The only, pretty much the only place friendly to the U.S. over the now, really, really friendly, really friendly, is Israel. And that's because Israel is so dependent on the U.S. for everything, for its defense, the money, the weapons. And Israel can't afford to lose a lot of soldiers because they only have about 400,000. Not a large army. Not a large country. Not a large population. So when they start to fight, they're going to be up against what? Now, Syria, Lebanon? Palestine, and maybe Iran. Probably Iran. It's coming. Check. We're in check. Because the United States doesn't have the budget. They're, they're, we're, we're just about bankrupt. And they control the oil, folks. What do you think is going to happen if the flow of oil to the West is interrupted? I hope Biden has replenished the, um, the strategic oil reserves because I think we're going to need them for the military, not for our cars. Once this goes down and oil becomes an issue, if it gets that far and we're in danger of it, inflation is going to go off the rails and through the stratosphere. Get ready. And remember I was saying that it was only a matter of time before they would be coming for our sons and daughters to fight in Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Not just there, probably there too. It's that serious because they don't have enough boots to put on the ground to weather this storm. We're just getting started. If they don't snuff this out quick, we're on a deep, deep crap fascism nazism i don't know call it whatever you want i see history repeating itself here at least rhyming right and here's the, the here's the funny thing about it <clears throat> both sides are accusing each other of being fascists fascists in the sense or nazis in the sense that you know, on the, on the Israeli side, they're being portrayed as 
people who view themselves as the chosen people and therefore elitist. And therefore fascistic. They're the fascists, or so they're told, we're being told by certain people. And you talk about the rise of anti-Semitism here in North America and around the world. Yeah, it's there. A lot of people resentful. It's all cloaked in language. This hate, this fascism from the past coming back to revisit us. I have noticed it. I've pointed it out here on the show. And it's so dangerous. And it's manifesting itself over there in the Middle East right now. And you can see it manifest itself even within the political movements here in North America. Who wants to support Israel and who doesn't? If you're not supporting Israel, at least in terms of giving them enough to defend themselves, then you're leaving them wide open to potential extermination over there. That is a holocaust. I'm sorry, that's the truth. I don't want to spend any more money on wars. I want peace for both sides. I want good things for everybody. But now we, ha we have this reality. Maybe Israel shouldn't have ever been there. Maybe Israel shouldn't be there today. Maybe something needs to be done about that. I don't know. I just know that the people are there. And if, if the United States can't protect them, they're dead. Dead. They're not safe because of Israel. They're safe because of the Iron Dome. Or they were, sort of, not really ever. They're safe because the United States has been the dominant superpower. Not anymore. Now we have a new multipolar geopolitical reality where the U.S. dollar is on the decline, maybe ready to collapse. You have Russia and the BRICS nations coming forward with their own alternative currency, their own alternative economic system, where they're going to be investing and loaning money to countries competing with the United States. This puts the U.S. dollar in jeopardy, the U.S. economy in jeopardy. The U.S. dollar propped up by oil, not gold, oil and military arms. Now, because we're right there in the face of Russia and Ukraine, you're getting this back on the other side. This is the response to Ukraine. And without the oil, without the deals in place in the Middle East, forcing countries that purchase oil from like Saudi Arabia to buy their oil in U.S. dollars, once that's gone, 
the U.S. dollar as the default currency of the world, it's over. And once that's gone, the economy collapses. And if, you, if they cut the oil off or, or sanction <laughs> us here in the West, if they sanction us and cut the oil supply off, we're screwed. No energy. Well, then they're going to have to drill baby drill domestically, and they're going to need time to do that. To get that up and running, it won't happen immediately, and it's all going to have to come from here. And then, my God, thank God for Alberta and Texas and wherever else we, and Alaska. Better do it now. Tomorrow will be too late. And the other side ain't going to wait. They're striking while the iron is hot. And here domestically, this war is already being fought through information warfare. They're coming for you. They're coming for your mind. They're coming for your support. Be aware of that. The propaganda that's out there, the half-truths, the outright lies on both sides, the narratives that they're spinning, the mainstream media, it's all designed to generate support. That's what you do in a war. That's what governments do. They need your support, your consent to do anything that they do. You don't realize how important your consent is. But this time around, man, I don't know how to navigate through this one because I just want peace. I don't want to take a side. I see both sides are wrong. But at the same time, I don't want the Jews exterminated. So I understand that what you've done is you've created a nation state in the middle of a hornet's nest. And the hornets are a buzzing because you've pissed them all off over a long period of time with really crappy foreign policy. You can call it colonialism if you want to. Call it whatever you want. The reality is we're in a heap of trouble. And there ain't, we don't really have any friends. And if you want to find out how much we don't have friends over there, I would say, I had a, I had a friend of mine a few years ago, just a few years ago, said she wanted to go to Iran. I said, really? Probably not wise. Because if you go to Iran and just walk around over there, you're probably going to find some dudes who don't like you because of where you're from. I worked for a guy for a while who was Palestinian. Is Palestinian. Wasn't was. He still is. And he made it pretty clear to me that, you know, if I went over there and just spent some time walking around, there were people who just beat the crap out of me just because I'm white. And because I'm from Canada. Not everybody, but some people. Because we pissed them off. And for other reasons, too. That's the truth. 
So we're isolated over there. Now, what are we going to do? We have to defend them. Don't have any choice. It's either defend them or let the extermination begin. There is the Holocaust. All over again. History rhymes. And you could say, well, look at what the Israelis have been doing. Yeah, you can say that. Yep. But Israel's there. <laughs> what the hell are we going to do? How are you going to fix this one? I don't think that the uh, the people who run things in the Biden regime, administration slash whatever, I don't think they're smart enough. And I don't think they care enough to fix this. Not in the right way. And because the U.S. is stretched so thin, the West, NATO, stretched so thin, if this goes, this if this thing erupts, it won't stop there. It will it will spread further and further. Um, you're going to get more. The United States can't sustain this. I don't think they can. I don't know. I hope I'm freaking wrong. If it stretches on, if it if it turns into a long a prolonged thing. And you get all these other countries involved. We're in deep crap. The United States couldn't hold on to Afghanistan. What are you going to do when you've got all these different nations, Middle East nations, against you? Against us? And I, you know, I see the problems. I don't want to support either side. But I don't want to see in a Holocaust. And I see the people supporting that, the you know, not the, the Palestinian Hamas side making excuses for what Hamas has done. I see th those are the same people who are calling out or like always railing against the Nazis. It's this... It, <laughs> Because in the minds of people, even some of the people who are out there right now portraying themselves or putting themselves forward as like experts or something online, it's a Nazi it is a cliche. It's a guy in a Nazi uniform with a swastika thing looking real evil in a movie. Nazism complex than that fascism and there are different elements of fascism there's economic fascism and then there's social fascism there's political fascism what a mess and this is Biden's fault 
this is his fault because he let the people around him who corrupted him direct him and direct his foreign policy. It's the fault of these Democrats, the neocons, the war hawks, the warmongers. It's their fault. They thought they could just keep on doing this, just play games, export arms, run up huge budget deficits in the trillions of dollars while they line their pockets and let the blood flow all over the world. And it's our fault because we let them. Well, we sat back and watched Netflix. And enjoyed another day in paradise. Willfully blind to what's been going on all over the world for so long. As long as we didn't have to deal with it, right? It's just another war in a far-off country someplace that they never really taught us much about in school because we let them dumb us down and never really taught us enough about history for us to care. Never really taught us enough about history to learn from the mistakes of the past and never learned enough about history to understand that... The most important lesson to learn is that we need to let it go ultimately and find forgiveness. <laughs> you know, Canada criticized for harboring Nazis after World War II. Well, interesting that all that came up just around this time, isn't it? Almost a little too convenient. Let me put it, let me say this about that. Our entire country has been smeared because of this Nazi scandal. But there's another side to that. And you know what it's called? It's called mercy. Canada showed mercy to its enemy. And for that, we are being held accountable by people who don't believe in forgiveness. But look at what just happened. Instantly, many of those same people who have been so eager to smear our country, to smear you, many of those same people have been instantly willing to look the other way, put on blinders and make excuses for horrific acts, crimes against humanity, war crimes, excuses for a slaughter 
civilians. No mercy for the Nazis from World War II. No mercy for the dead Nazis. Yeah, and the half-dead Nazis who are 98 years old. No mercy for them. But lots of excuses, it seems, for people who commit atrocities today. Who's the Nazi now? compassion forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm mercy is the compassionate treatment of those in distress especially when it is within one's power to punish or harm them the word mercy derives from the medieval latin mercid or mercies, which means price paid. It is the connotation of forgiveness, benevolence, and kindness. That's a very Canadian thing. I don't know whether it was right or wrong to show mercy back in the 1940s and 1950s to people who may or may not have done, but probably did, do terrible things during a time of war. But it was done. Long before I was born. And probably long before all you were born to, or most of you. Canada showed mercy. We're supposed to pay a price for that, I guess. We're paying a price for it right now, too. We're paying a price for... What? Vengeance? Anger? More mistakes made? Because people haven't learned the most important lesson of history, which is that you, at some point, have to let it go. That decision was made at some point, well, quite a long time ago. But not, but nope. Some people just are determined to repeat history, and here we go. That's the truth. We can stand against it. I'm not sure how tonight. I don't really quite know other than to say I just want peace. That's the first step. Stop the killing. Stop it. But it's not going to stop. I know that. So, get ready. Pray, I guess.
Hug your loved ones. It's getting worse. Love all you guys. Thank you for spending the time here tonight. See you tomorrow. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.